All right. Yes, I have officially hit record, so I'm watching. You take as much time as you need, and we'll kick things off. Hello, everybody. Now, whenever you're listening to this, bear in mind that we're a little bit unstuck in time on this, uh, mainly by design. I kind of don't want to engage in the hot take economy uh, on the terms everyone else has. What I can't say is it's after the new year, as of this recording, uh, the musician MF Doom has passed recently. An amazing musician, uh, and I feel like we would be remiss if in the future we didn't go over some of his work, given he's been a prolific, out-of-the-box DIY thinker, uh, and it's been interesting learning a, a lot about his process and also his uh, sort of need to push his self out of the image. It's a... One of the few good things you should emulate in this uh, podcaster's humble opinion. Yeah, I'm, Joe, uh... I'm Michelle Perez. Uh, I'll get back to you, dog. Uh, this is working on it. I'm joined with uh, my buddy Jake and Eliza Gager. Uh, what were you saying, man? I was I was just thinking about Doom um, in considering recording today because it's the first time I've wanted to bring up something timely um it's a bummer it's uh it's a a a guy who made an entire influenced an entire almost spectrum of of that art hip-hop of just rapping of just yeah just rapping really um without anyone really ever knowing the dude's real name daniel dumile with lately unless you looked it up right um wait but his they don't make those too much anymore yeah, even even then, you had to sort of know through people that had a functioning knowledge of his work, uh, sort of the story, because he's not really a wiki, wiki friendly uh, musician, which is very refreshing now. He's he's someone that uh, everyone who is into rap or works in the industry at some level or another can appreciate uh, his work as an artist, but also as a producer which is an art in and of itself producing a lot of those beats structures yeah someone on someone on twitter said uh like lo-fi beats to lo-fi hip-hop beats to study to yeah (laughs) everything to to doom's production style yes um in addition to people he worked with like mad lib and jay dilla etc um yeah it's it's a it's a guy who even if you aren't familiar with his work you would probably hear his rapping and be like oh wow i've heard something like this hmm. um and yeah. you would know that that that's you would know that, that that person had that person was he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper yeah essentially and to everybody you know most, to a lot most, of cats most people made a point to say you know in their words about him earl sweatshirt said one which was that you know he he's laying out instructions for you uh, MF Doom wants you to do maybe what he does, but on your own terms, which is, uh, which is, you know, be unique and not have it focus on the work in lieu of the 
branding, uh, et cetera, all of those trappings, which is kind of interesting now because we all have to be aware of those trappings. Uh, with that, as a little bit of a segue, <laughs> we are going into a story, a narrative uh, Eliza Hast or Agalis with after we were talking about VTubers. Uh, basically, uh, your modern points of reference, dear listener, may be different from, say, uh, ours collectively, unless you sort of grew up in that uh, suburban to rural uh, strip mall hell that uh, kind of makes every place in America specifically uh, have this difference, but also this monoculture sameness. Uh, one of the things that peeks out of these cracks is uh, animatronic uh, fucking performance music. Uh, <laughs> for for a lot of people, it's going to be a, a derivative franchise uh, called uh, Five Nights at F- Five Nights at Freddy's. Basically, it's this jump scare uh, factory uh, that a lot of YouTubers sort of came up off of. Uh, it's made by Scott Cawthon at adds a touch of the supernatural to these weird Chuck E. Cheese style animatronics, but then to call them Chuck E. Cheese animatronics would uh, sort of be sort of be not, it would be sort of hollow because yeah, that's the most mainstream version, but the, the point of origin is what we're getting at tonight. Uh, myself, my, my exp- exposure to this was yeah, Chuck E. Cheese in particular, Capcom bowling at uh, every single location in Michigan for some fucking reason. But it's fine, because uh, who knew that Capcom was as good as they are at uh, bowling? Capcom bowling. Capcom bowling. It basically has a big globe uh, on top of uh, ball bearings. Much like those golf games. I remember this. Yeah. And oh, then it was like did... a track ball, right? It, yeah. You would like roll yeah. it. And it would spin in, in its in its bear. I yeah, I don't know if I ever played it, but I certainly remember seeing it. You would you would basically kind of wind forward with your hand and then bring it back and then do the Spider-Man flick and you would just decimate all of these pins. Mm. Uh it was a good time. You would get a lot of uh you would get a lot of those tickets. You'd you'd spend it on complete garbage. So that said, uh we we're kind of we've kind of have we kind of have this mishmash of uh with Rock of Fire it was pneumatic with uh with Chuck E. Cheese it's more of like an electronic digital series of moving pistons and parts so that's so, correct as far as I know yeah so Rock of Fire looks more natural so the unnatural quality of Chuck E. Cheese sort of lends itself uh, better to to the sort of uncanny valley sense of horror that is is basically imbued throughout Five Nights at Freddy's. And of I course, don't know. I mean, the thing with the Rock of Fire band is that since it's pneumatic, it was all air and I think at some points fluid pressure. So one of the yeah. big things that went wrong with the the various bands in in franchises is that the air pressure wouldn't be maintained properly by the people who were running the band. Um, so the band would either, you know, only barely move or they would be like flinging their arms and legs around and, you know, breaking through their, their latex 
skin and stuff like that. So I guess air pressure is a really big issue uh, with with Rock of Fire, but they they look pretty fucking gross and scary as well. Um, yeah, maybe maybe the the grossness and the tech texture of the the grossness kind of varies. You know, the the way you run it along your finger, but there's still sort of similar outcomes. That said. Uh, I don't know. I feel like the electric jerking versus the sort of naturalistic rise and fall in movement looks, I don't know, slightly more realistic. It's, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just remember... Yeah, I think I, Chuck E. Cheese is, like, stiffer. There's a more limited yeah, range of movement in like this kind of stuff it's, as opposed it's to... You know. like doing the robot, like, yeah. the the... the you when you think of uh of like hydraulics i guess i don't know it's just wild they're like looking at their faces on some of the rock fire um bears the expressions are so cartoony and whatever i remember being a chuck e cheese's kid all i remember is like looking at the the eyelids on the thing and how like weirdly fake those looked mm -hmm. and then I don't know, just not really ever being when I was at Chuck E. Cheese as a child, you had to tear me off of the video games to put me in mm -hmm. front of the animatronic show. I was yeah. not about I was not there for to watch the robot mice. Eyelids um, is something that gets brought up a lot specifically uh by by fans. And there's there's a bit in one of the Aaron Fector uh videos where he mentions it to someone who's interviewing him because the, the interviewer says, Ah, I remember that sound, the eyelid sound. And Aaron Factor says, Yeah, that's something that that people really, really paid attention to. And I guess one of the um sweeping changes they did to the franchise at some point was to change the pneumatic pressure to make the eyelids make less noise. Like that was one of the big changes that they made. Cause it just it either either you're a weird kid and you become a Rock of Fire fan for life. Because the little bell that goes off when you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog that makes you a Sonic weirdo for the rest of your life. Sometimes you're in Rock of Fire Pizza when that happens. Um, <laughs> but some of those kids really thought that the eyelid noise was good, and then everyone else, normal people, were like, "That's terrifying." So they they changed it at some point. But yeah, it's it's a thing. So I mean, where do you want me to start with this? Because this is kind of this is kind of my baby. Well, okay, so just. Uh, we're, we're, I think, oh man, this is weird. It's going to be the first time I kind of think of this in an interview capacity with you, Eliza. Uh, fuck. What, where, when did you first get, uh, fire pilled, as it were? When, when, when did you personally begin <laughs> yeah. your, your, your pneumatic journey, your, well your animatronic sort of, uh, christening? Um, you know, I am autistic. I don't know if I need to say this to anybody because it's very obvious, but <laughs> uh, for, for the audience listening at home. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't try to introduce you that way because it just sounds like, you know, like, what, here's my, my co-host autistic. Uh, <laughs> just wanted you guys to know my friend, Eliza, super autistic. <laughs> just go for her. it. Just like. Got <laughs> real bad. Um, so shooting, I mean, shooting your fingers off, you know, seventy Sam style. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that that's a classic autism thing. Is you know we really get into 
both inanimate and animate objects. And for me, that has definitely been, um, you know, I had a really big collection of stuffed animals when I was little. Um, I've always really been into like robots and stuff. I changed my name in fifth grade. It was, it was a different contraction of Elizabeth, which is, you know, my legal name until fifth grade when I decided to change it. Cause I wanted something slightly more grown up and I named myself after Eliza, the artificial intelligence. So for me, it goes like way back. Um, God damn. I was taken to Disney world in Florida when I was 11 and I really didn't like it. It was too hot. It was boring. Everything was expensive. I didn't like waiting in line. I, but the thing I hated most about it is that it really requires you to sort of buy into the patronization of everyone there. You have to you have to go and be willing to think, oh, okay, I met the what's it called? The magic king. Yeah, the magic kingdom. Everyone's having a good time. We're all gonna pretend that, you know, we can't see the strings. Um, and that drove me fucking crazy, even as a kid, and it still drives me crazy now. I hate it. Um, but I did, I, I did like seeing how stuff worked. I liked. I think we went to the the Jungle Room, and you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, and all of those that have animatronics and stuff, and like tableau and the sets and things like that. So I really enjoyed like the craftsmanship that went into this stuff. I didn't feel like personally attracted or or in kinship with these robots but i did find them very interesting just from a um a craftsmanship point of view so i mean fast forward many years later i've i've always thought robots and practical movie effects and uh puppetry and that kind of thing um was really interesting from a mechanical standpoint but i you know when i heard about five nights at freddy's i thought oh that's cool you know that's I really like the idea of the uncanny valley of these animatronic creatures being used as a setting for, you know, uh, for horror. I actually did ask to go to Chuck E. Cheese at some point when I was a kid for one of my birthdays. I do not know what possessed me, but I hated it. Um, I think <laughs> I, I apologized to my mom later. I'm like, I don't know what was, I don't know why I wanted to go. I <laughs> You know, thanks for taking me, but this was horrible, and I apologize for making you go Wait, there. Uh, what 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 age did you say you were? For the birthday party, probably around ten. I I can't remember. I think it was uh, nine and eleven. So I was actually a little old for it. But again, I yeah. don't I don't really know what possessed me to want to go there. But oh yeah, no, so, Chuck E. Cheese is over for you if you can even mildly handle abstraction. Exactly, they had a That's, lot of. Like sick commercials six years old seven you know maybe would be a good age for chuck e cheese depending on the kid i was way too old so i don't know i don't know why i asked to go i, I honestly don't remember but i hated it um so much later five nights at freddy's comes out and i thought oh that's cool what a good idea and i've actually don't i don't really play a lot of horror games myself because you know my ambient anxiety is already so high that i'm just not any good at them um but I enjoy reading about them and hearing about, you know, the ideas that people come up with and certainly the monster designs, big fan of monster designs, just in the abstract. So doing a lot of research about this, I got into the Tumblr tag at one point 
And I think I still have the screenshot around somewhere. I should try to find it so we can put it in the show notes. It was somebody getting mad in the Five Nights at Freddy's tag on Tumblr. And they were yelling about something called the Rock of Fire explosion and how it was completely unfair and totally offensive that Five Nights at Freddy's had burst into the Rock of Fire explosion. At this point, I had no idea what that was and there were no pictures. Had burst into the Rock of Fire fandom and put all of this horrible horror shit on top of what used to be, this person said, was a very uh, wholesome and and positive uh, fandom. And, you know, she didn't appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, what the fuck is this? What is Rockafire pizza? What is showbiz pizza? And I grew up on the West Coast, so we did not have this. We had Chuck E. Cheese, but there were, as far as I know, there were no showbiz pizza locations west of, I don't know, the Mississippi maybe, but it was it was all east and sort of central north america it's there there just as a little little aside this isn't as baffling to me maybe coastal listeners you're you're like what the fuck is this uh animatronic uh sort of restaurants big midwest staple midwest and the south they fucking love them Mm -hmm. Uh, but but, uh yeah if you continue if you would um so, I mean, that was the second thing I found out is that it just wasn't a West Coast thing. So there was no reason for me to have ever heard of it. I, mm. I think the West Coast considers that kind of thing to be déclassé. You know, like if you tried to take a kid from San Francisco to Chuck E. Cheese, they would, you know, they, they wouldn't really get it. Um, we're not big on amusement parks here. There is Disneyland, but that's only in California and it's more of a tourist destination. Like locals don't really go that much we don't really have medieval times you know we just don't no it's a no fun zone pretty much like people people like go hiking and shit instead anyway um so that sent me down the rabbit hole of like looking all this shit up and i discovered that in 2013 i think um let me double check my date here. Yeah, 2013, which I think was around the same time that Five Nights at Freddy's came out, uh, or maybe a little bit before. Yeah, Five Nights was 2014. Um, there was an explosion at a warehouse in Orlando, Florida, which appeared to be um, a hydrofuels <laughs> explosion. Uh, so somebody had been working on alternative fuel projects and it had blown up which you know that also piques my interest for a lot of reasons starting with it's very funny and um jesus christ i I just want to point out so there was an actual explosion in addition to the band show being called the rock of fire correct (laughs) yeah it was it was a quite a large explosion too i mean people were People were concerned. <laughs> this is, you know, yeah. post 9-11. Um, oh, my God. Out- I'm imagining the Homeland Security agent just like there's been a rocket fire explosion, sir. Oh, <laughs> right. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that band. No, a rocket fire explosion. Explosion. <laughs> I'm sick of All this right. fucking double The only time I'm going to make that joke. That's it. There, yeah. We got out of our system. It's it was the same guy. It was the same fucking guy. The 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 hydrofuel explosion was the guy who did the Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, original monsters. And and those guys, Rock of Fire, I think predates Chuck E. Cheese a little bit. We'll get into that more later. So 
that that was it for me that those were i can't resist information synthesis when you got those two little things and they make there's a line which there's nothing like it there's nothing like it so that was it for me i was like oh i'm gonna learn everything about this um and you know i've i've done my best i'm sure i'm gonna leave stuff out so yeah this dude this dude aaron fector is his name and he is a primetime boomer he was born in 1953 um and he's been like a mad scientist his whole life he started out like his first big thing was not inventing whack-a-mole he's very careful to say i didn't invent whack-a-mole he's always which i appreciate about him he says i had a guy come to me having gone to an arcade in japan and said i saw this thing there do you think you could recreate it for uh, american um audiences and he says sure so he sort of independently invented whack-a-mole based on i guess a description that someone had brought from a far-off land which is delightfully uh <laughs> classical explorer type shit to do um quote-unquote explorer so he's the whack-a-mole guy and unfortunately that patent was stolen from him in a, a, a sort of hijinks that was probably illegal uh, they got him to to do the one machine, and then they sold that machine to someone else, um, completely ignoring his uh, his intellectual property there. And I think that's probably what made him insane, because he has spent the rest of his life just going apeshit trying to defend his intellectual property, and has basically resulted in him being a failure for his entire life, because he is just obsessed with the idea that someone's going to take one of his ideas or use his ideas for something without giving him credit or paying him for it or whatever. So just, it, just to ask real quick, uh, and not a gotcha or anything, but like, had he went through any sort of patent process or whatever, uh, as it relates to that, or was he just working off a commission basis? That's I have no idea because the, I mean, all we know about this <laughs> is what Aaron Fector has told us and ah. he's not exactly a reliable narrator. Um, All right. So Which I don't is kind know. of coming together. Technically, you don't you don't need to send a letter to the copyright protection office to be like this thing belongs to me. I you you can patent something, um, and that's how you prove that you own it. But I will tell you know the the audience as as a professional artist don't let anybody tell you that you have to go through extra hoops to copyright something as soon as you create something it yeah. is yours um you only used to have to go through hoops like putting it in an envelope and mailing it to yourself is something they used to tell you to copyright stuff you don't have to do that anymore the file exists on your computer it's got a timestamp on it it's yours that's a whole other thing we could do a whole episode on copyright so this this dude um he i'm not actually sure what what caused him to go after the uh animat the, the robot pizza restaurant model um in the first place i, I haven't <laughs> yeah. really i mean upon that info uh i think he was already working on like trying to do animatronic um entertainment you know and like sell it at trade shows before and i think wasn't entirely successful so i think he kind of decided he wanted to strike out on his own and uh again I'm, I'm not super sure and i'm sure he edits his own wikipedia page here um i'm not super sure if he or chuck e cheese technically got the the first 
the first robot pizza restaurant, but because uh, there was a lot of that kind of thing going around in the eighties, there was there was Teddy Ruxpin, you know, there was all that stuff. I, yeah. I immediately think of Walt Disney and the uh, the parks uh, that basically he had visited before uh, he had actually gotten into the business of uh, just moving beyond. Uh, being an animation studio head and saying, all right, we're going to work all of this Americana and, you know, Walt Disney's case, uh, revisionism about Americana into the, the whole design of the place. But he actually visited a lot of parks and that kind of sort of looked at what had worked and also wanted to create his own identity from it. Uh which is kind of interesting when we think of these, because these are like a microcosm of that. Mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a shoddy derivative of a well, derivative. So I think that's a good, a good time to bring up here that um, one of the other driving factors of these types of restaurants is that, uh, at least in the Showbiz Pizza uh, chain, which I'm reading now, so Chuck E. Cheese uh, started, as a, started before, technically, mm -hmm. was bankrupt and acquired by a restaurant named showbiz pizza uh who then started to unify the two brands naming everything chuck e cheese so despite apparently originally filing for bankruptcy the brand chuck e cheese was strong enough in the uh you know the public consciousness that they started to rename them all but yes you, you are referring to something called concept unification which happened yeah that happened much later um, exactly. It, it, so, was, it was the that was the peak of the war between the two brands. Um, yeah. Um, and then Nolan Bushnell, the guy who co-founded Atari, was at the helm of some of this showbiz pizza stuff in the 70s because his idea for these restaurants was that this is where kids are going to go to play video games. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That, yeah. Well, he also did it that way because basically he had all of this uh, industry in information and the terms of him leaving Atari basically uh, involved him signing a no-compete clause saying, all right, man, you can't work on video games anymore. Right. And so, well, I can't work on video games anymore, but you know what? I could probably work a model I'm familiar with and have the contacts. And, you know, the pre-internet era, your, your contacts, your Rolodex or whatever, your physical yeah. information showing your your access in your world mm -hmm. uh you're, so, you're gonna have to dance yeah as hard as you can with that shit so yeah. essentially when when teenagers and bars were getting into pong machines and such uh bushnell was out there going oh i gotta make this easier for the the 12 year olds to get to i gotta make this easier for the 13 14 year olds to get to because that's a yeah. whole market right there um and that's why i loved chuck e cheese's growing up uh wasn't into the mouse wasn't even into the tickets i just wanted to play mortal Kombat against my friends or yeah. whatever game they had going on there i was gonna say uh, mortal Kombat. i know i know you probably maybe, wouldn't find that maybe in maybe maybe yeah probably a street fighter probably first, a virtual first, fighter, first fighter. Mm. yeah something without the blood um yeah but, my uh, dad used to take me to one of the few remaining arcades in in the town where i grew up i used to I used to stand on a milk crate in order to reach the button because I was too little. Um, they'd get me my milk that's, crate. That's the stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was I great. feel like those are, the, those are the formative gaming experiences that people don't get those, these days. Yeah, my, my favorite so, game was Rampage because I loved the monsters and I loved that it had a woman in it. 
It was one of the only games in the whole arcade besides Ms. Pac-Man that actually had a female character that was playable and that was not like fucking Dragon Quest. Is that the name of that? Liz, Liz did oh, not God. have Liz did not have big reptilian titties. No, she, you never even saw big, her titties. She was she was only as big as all the other monsters in the game. It was good, good shit. Yeah. Plus, she was yeah, named no. Liz. You know? So Rampage was a super great game when you're when you're a kid. That's just like. That just defines video games. You just see those monsters yep. blowing buildings up. It's so simple, too. You scale the building, you knock it down. It's re- it's just great shit. I mm-hmm. I could go on and on about Rampage. So, yeah, so Aaron Factory graduates in 73. It was the middle of the energy crisis. So right out of high school, he was already thinking, I got to solve the energy crisis. It's up to me. <laughs> oh, my God. This he graduated in, uh, in Edgewater um, High School in, in Orlando. So he's been a Florida man his whole life. Like, he's just been in Orlando his whole life, which is crazy to think about. Um, it, it explains a lot, though, if you've ever been. I was about to say that it given is place, his, yeah. his existentiality, that uh, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, so he started the the all the hydrofuels thing way back then and founded his his company, Creative Engineering, in 75 specifically for that. And I guess um he went door to door trying to sell his inventions, like out of a out of a briefcase. And he came up with this thing that uh collects leaves from swimming pools. I don't know if his if his invention was any different. He called it the leafy. Yeah. I don't know if it is any different than what the pool cleaners that we have now or if he has that patent or what. But um I guess that was when he was on the doorstep of somebody who said, hey, can you make can you make whack-a-mole? So after that, he uh he started doing with the help of his father, he was invested in by his dad, classic story. He started doing the animatronic stuff and showing it at the uh, the IAAPA shows, and that's the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. So those are the trade shows you go to with your weird robots when you want to sell them to, you know, Disney World or Six Flags or whatever. I guess Disney World does all their stuff in house, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so that's I guess he developed you know his first animatronic band, and he got some awards in '78 at the trade show. And then uh, that led to the Rockafire Explosion, which is the name of the band, as distinct from Showbiz Pizza, which is the name of the restaurant the band plays in, apparently. It's not all right. Chuck e. Cheese, like the Chuck E. Cheese brand. And then I guess Showbiz picked him up and picked up the band for that. And that's how that's how he got the band into, into Showbiz Pizza. Uh, something that is interesting to me about Aaron Fector that I, I actually really identify with, and he's a horrible man, so when I say that I approve of something about him, let it be known that it's an exception. But one of the things that I find interesting and and identifiable about him is that this man cannot draw or design an appealing, friendly, interesting, uh, child-friendly face to save his life. He cannot design anything cute. His monsters are disgusting. They're like... The first time I saw them, uh, basically, there's, there's a Sid... And uh, Marty Croft, am I saying that right, Jake? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, these guys would would create these weird Hanna-Barbera sort of dancing, singing, uh, animal guys in suits. And these, uh, the Rockefeller explosion is basically a step removed from that. 
they're yeah they're basically they're 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 that there's like hanna barbera uh the the rock of fire explosion right but put human skin on them instead of fur. Yeah, it's and then like hairbrush a, color and a, features on human skin. Mm-hmm. If Yogi Bear was staring at you in the face in the flesh, mm-hmm. like, but instead of it, no, like, it, 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 it wouldn't actually look fur. like a cute cartoon. Yeah, it's disgusting, and they don't. I mean, I've always imagined Yogi Bear you know the the light colored patch on his face, and that's true of a lot of. I mean, Yogi's based on you know like Steamboat Willie type cartoon illustrations sure. that we've had since forever Very but simple i i don't imagine that the light colored places and we had an argument with eli about this recently remember i don't imagine that those that those those faces and hands and stuff that are light colored they're not bare skin they're just light colored no. you know yes I'm, yeah yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't imagine them to be shiny i'm still yeah. leaning into this but it, it they it looks a great deal of these characters look like like anti Mediterranean guy racism. It's I all do racist. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, they are they are bears whose faces have been shaved. Right. Like yes. if you were to look at a normal bear, there would be fur where a rock yeah. fire bear's face is, uh, as if someone had just like, gotten in there with a buzzer. Yeah, they look like apes. They're all designed so that they look like apes you know and orangutans and pansies have the bare faces but that's they all look like that it's horrible they have they have a singular ape and he look he's the only thing that looks like he's supposed to fucking look yeah there's like an actual gorilla um but yeah the the bear billy bob billy bob broccoli is ostensibly the leader of the gang um Mm. So Mitzi Mozzarella is the mouse character, and she was originally supposed to be a fox. And Aaron Infector is still bitter about this, as well he should be, I think. But someone during the the showbiz pizza acquisition said, no, we should have a mouse in the band to compete with Chuck E. Cheese. And that's (laughs) stupid. And Aaron was right to object, but he just let them do it, I guess. And now it's like one of his great regrets is that he allowed Mitzi Mozzarella to go from being a fox to being a mouse. And she's disgusting. Like, huge, shiny, greasy red spots on her cheeks and just like massive lipstick. Oh, yeah. The the smile is literally split from ear to ear. Oh. It's awful. It's like if you removed the if you removed the faceplate from that robot, it would be a purge mask. It mm-hmm. would just be like someone on the street during the purge would be wearing one uh, of those I things to terrify you. And in, in a Discord we inhabit, we've been playing a lot of Payday to the Heist, and so there's a character select screen, and I'm looking at all of the Rockafire characters, and they just look like bank robber man. Yeah, they're applied <laughs> applied the they have like human proportions is the other thing i wanted to drive home about rock fire they have these broad human ass shoulders mm-hmm. uh and the line mitzi has same, tits. same lines to the net yeah mitzi has yeah. tits uh i think and- she has molded nipples too i i would have oh, to look at no. the, the mitzi chest oh. plate again yeah it, it, yeah it's it's a lot of psychic damage looking at this shit because like I'm, I'm trying to imagine uh, the feeling of that as a kid because <laughs> you're obviously not going to instantly think what the fuck is a child, but like, all I right, mean, I feel these like they're going to be cool animal friends. So I'm thinking these are, 
those types of things are absolute like those just seem like absolute limits tests for kids it's like is the kid gonna like the giant robots or is the kid gonna start crying right now there's like it is, not- it is definitely in the realm of show this to a child to make the child burst into tears like I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you watch the there's there's a Rock of Fire documentary which came out in 2008. It's it's great. I highly recommend it. But there's they only interview the weird kids who like really latched onto this. And you know, one guy says Mitzi is really sexy, and oh, I boy. mean, it's it's this whole thing with the old Mitzi uh, puppets. If you if you look at some of the ones where the latex has just completely fallen down, and there are some existing. Um, rock of fire bands uh her tits have fallen down to her waist because all of the the skin parts were made out of rubber latex and it it oh, no. falls apart and melts in the same uh, way that human skin does over time it's uh, horrible really it's horrible. not great oh god oh. so i mean and this was the, i was despite the autism or i don't know maybe because of it i don't know i i showed up to chuck e cheese and took one look at this stuff and went oh fuck no this is awful <laughs> and there's there's an additional layer of resentment i think from children who are too aware of their surroundings that adults thought that i was going to like this that's insulting yes. that mm-hmm. that makes me feel like shit that they think i'm dumb enough to fall for this stuff or that my taste is so bad that i wouldn't notice that it's horrible so yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I'm fascinated with this is this this aesthetic disconnect between children and adults, um, which is obvious in a lot of properties for children. Uh, it's or true. or the complete yeah. opposite now, where uh, it is meant for children, but also like uh, air quote. I maybe the creators don't intend it, but like the way it's marketed, certain cartoons definitely uh market towards a late teen to like adult audience in their mid to early 20s now most definitely mm-hmm. uh which is weird because yeah as i as i grew up uh my exposure to stuff was basically the the reagan era uh reruns that had been put into syndication because we didn't have cable or whatever, and you would see like, yeah, GI Joe, this or that, and it's like the i the the idea of what kids will think is cool, and then years later, if you didn't grow up in that immediate climate, it might suck to you. Uh, seeing mm-hmm. old Transformers episodes, old GI Joe episodes, like, yeah, uh, I really like Care Bears as a child, even though you know <laughs> to watch it as an adult now, and it's like. It's like, let's commodify emotion. That's a good idea, right? Uh, but yeah, as a kid, I'm like, goo goo gaga. I like this shit more than guns. And They're good. They're cool colors, those bears. Yeah, and then some years later, I'm gay and I suck dick. And, you know, <laughs> or is there a connection? But, but the thing is, uh, the, the idea, all of this throwing uh, ideas at a wall. Aaron Fector... Uh, seems kind of a unique personality in the ways I've been kind of reading about him. The, the, the rock of fire actual explosion, for example, is a <laughs> byproduct of his long brewing need to be he on one hand, right wing guy, uh, probably not out of step with most stuff, probably like, probably like a right to center, right guy. 
He's I a big chug. He's a, he's a big he's old a, chug. Yeah. He's a big chug? Oh. He is. Oh. Yeah, he, he did a he did a rock of fire. One of the band members, I can't, he's the, the little goblin who lives in the trash can. Um, he did a song mm-hmm. about uh shit. Who was that celebrity chef who said the N-word and got canceled? Paula Dean. Oh Paula Dean, Paula Dean. yeah. Yeah. Oh. Throw, some, throw some butter shit. on it. Well he Loosely, wrote, yeah. wrote a song. He wrote a song with the actual N-word in it, um, about like cancel culture or something. So he is 100% chill. He's one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, I, I, I recant my pe- previous statement, I guess, but <laughs> I mean, talks, for yeah. the, but well, all right. Why as soon as that came- out, he's kind of threatened to sue us. Like if he hears about this, he will threaten to sue. All right. Just so, all right. Stepping out of maybe not, because I'm not trying to dig in or anything, but I would say, uh, as a creative person, even people you uh, incredibly disagree with, you can you can look at a lot of their stuff and look at the act of creation. So people that I've been influenced by that, uh, you know, in the current era, probably not going to be looked upon great. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, a big influence on me. Sorry. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not his fucking biographer. I'm not his uncle. I can't tell him what to do and what not to do. Uh, Warren Ellis. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, I mean, I literally, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, at this I, point, I don't I, think there I, are any comic dudes that are not terrible. There's yeah. just no, just yeah. kill, but yeah, just tear them all Hold down, on, dude. hold all on, hold on. I, I like, uh, you, 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 you know him from Twitter, uh, 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 he he's a really good artist. Your uh, Jake, uh, fucking no. Mexican fellow. Ramon Villalobos. Yeah, Ramon Villalobos. Ramon. Villalobos. He's not an older dude. He's like our age. All right. Yeah, like Ramon. I don't. I don't. Yeah, very great. Com- but he's give, like an indie comics artist. He's I'll not give, like a guy. Uh, clout, give, not not, uh, listen, this may be my own bias of speaking here, but I'm gonna trust the Mexican people first. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, but I mean, you know, not always. Uh, if you if you know a little inside baseball, but you know, that's a whole other thing. But for the most part, uh, I'll give you a little, give you a little tip. I'm of just, uh, yeah, I, I I'm prepared to say like whatever I I find myself noticing that I enjoy the work of another artist a lot these days, especially. I just find myself prepared to, uh, yeah understand that that's not like that they could they could be yeah. not a great person oh yeah i've i listen to a lot okay. of heavy metal music this is a uh, an issue that goes on in that realm yeah you like, fan? fan yeah no that's the thing if you, if you like any if you like anything anything uh you know oh. to the to the left of of heavy like <laughs> actually heavy metal so yeah. like if you like black metal but but to, you're just gonna you're just gonna find some art that a lot of people will recommend to you, and then you'll find out that the people that made that art were like white supremacists or killed someone or something like that. Um, I mean, all I could say is, you know, if the people are doing the bad things, you know, don't do the bad things. Yeah, you're, don't do the bad things. Don't, but it's very simple. you know don't yeah don't do the bad th- if you you know. You can you can like transmit. I I think I would not be the same person I am if I had never read Transmit. But like, yeah, you know, don't do no, bad stuff. Be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I and, mean, and you know, we're still doing an episode about about Aaron Fector here today. Yeah, that's a, here to, 
Thank you, baby. To blow up his scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. To that point, uh, Aaron Fector like couldn't couldn't be nothing but a man of contradictions. Now, as <laughs> I know, a full ass full ass chud, but also very big on alternative energy. So much so to the point that one of the early failed uh, uh, energies, kind of reading through one of these, was uh, hydrillium. Uh, that was the one that blew up. That was the so, one that blew up. This was yeah, like that. That is that is still in development as of 2013, and I I think he's still working on it. I've read some articles about it. It sounds very fucking promising. I mean, if they can get it to stop randomly exploding, that's really the secret with with every major uh, development in fuel technology is how do we get it to stop exploding randomly? <laughs> right. Even nuclear. Every yeah. oh, this rules. Except sometimes. Sometimes. Well, no. It also depends sort of on the safety and the rigor in which the testing gets done. Like, uh, I think of Elon Musk, whatever I think of explosions I <laughs> in mean, the current era. Christ, <laughs> how much money has he thrown away and blowed up rockets? But, but the thing is, like, how much of it is him playing it fast and loose with regulations or uh, the methodology in which, which it's being done? Is it being made... Uh, on the the lowest uh, bottomest of dollars budget wise because you remember you have to consider you have to consistently do this and Man, I'm nasa even nasa budgeting even was a lot of lowest bitter parts and shit but it's I the found outcome a, found a website found a website that we should all click on hell yeah oh my god i oh what? please tell me he made the site it's got to be, be him, him, right? Yep. It's got to be him. It has to be him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. who is? I'm gonna, who is this URL right now? Somebody describe what we're seeing here. Okay, right. so Eliza linked us in the chat to uh, carbohydrillium.com. I opened it fully expecting to see a scientific website. Instead, nope. it is apparently a menu of Southern Breeze's five star dining choices. It's not clear that this is a restaurant. Uh, but there's five items, a hydrillium-fired burger, a hydrillium-fired steak, a hydrillium-fired salmon, and a hydrillium-fired dinner frank. The uh, hydrillium-fired salmon is in a pile of what looks like canned green beans. Oh, so is the steak. That's right. God, that, that is American yep. cuisine. Yep. <laughs> Those are um, absolutely... I think that might be the same rice and green beans used for the steak and the same all right. photo. All the fixings right. are bad, but all, all the fixings are bad. Be sure to put this in the show. The hydrillium fired steak, not going to lie, kind of cautiously want to bite into it. Oh, I would eat any of these items. I would I'm eat it, yeah. No, I'm not yeah, picking it. So there's a the link hydrillium. on the page to comment cards from customers who have tried hydrillium, registered trademark, fired food. Every comment card has been posted. We have not just posted the quote-unquote good ones. Uh, food item you ordered. Burger. Your comment. Excellent. I think with an A. Cooked perfect. Cold, cold beer. beer. <laughs> yeah, cool, dude. Some uh, of these, a lot of these have the same no, burger same and then the next writing. one that says burger and hot dog. Same handwriting. Yeah, I was just about to say. I wonder how so, much of these have the same handwriting. So the thing is, I want to go to this restaurant. So he's a he's an owner in Hydrillium, yes. He he's a co-owner. He and another guy do Carbohydrillium. 
And I don't know if hydrillium is the same thing as carbohydrillium. I uh, it admitted to my shame, I did not deep dive into the hydrillium project. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I, I will not make legally binding statements. I would uh, say some speculation. It seems as though this site, I would speculate, is, is sort of being being maintained by someone who is trying to maintain this aura or perception around it that uh, I believe is just the, the creator of the site, whoever it may be, just trying to sell you on how good this is without having a functioning knowledge of how it's to... It's literally taste the meat, not the heat. That's what we got here. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. This is a very propane energy yeah so it's um it's william richardson wikipedia says uh fector has been developing the alternative fuel system derived from water and graphite in partnership with a paid mentor william richardson what's what? a paid mentor which way is that money going for, from him or to him well i i don't know uh yeah. that's a good question and also where's aaron fector getting all his money now like as I said, I, I this Wikipedia page looks like something he edited himself. It I'm sounds, fairly it sounds certain. like a it sounds like a sugar a sugar daddy slash baby situation, but in this case, the baby is paying you. But, I do have a feeling yeah. that he is um, he has a hand in his Wikipedia pages. Yeah. Uh, there's just there's just some bit. very specific mentions of of Rockafire type stuff that. I can't imagine the average person would just include in a Wikipedia article. No. I mean, I, uh, I have this, I have this fucking harebrained observation, but I think of any time, uh, basically, I forget the uh, word for it, but basically, I kind of have this neurological thing where uh, I maybe have some really bad short-term memory, but I have very, 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 very good. Uh, long-term memory and specific memory. I remember having this for many years, even when I was a child. And one of the worst things that would bother me was offering an answer to the class, it being attributed to someone else, and then me stewing in that, knowing that it wasn't me being pathological, wasn't me being, uh, you know, spiteful. It was just, I just want my fucking credit. And I, I think... Uh, you have to sort of step back and not over-personalize everything in a way. I mean, it's not to say you shouldn't assert yourself, but it's like, give a primacy to certain things, you know? You you would you would assign a weight to that if it were something important, if you were losing money or uh, you were being sort of dashed out of a creative prospect. But like for this, it seems like he was working on so many things that were things other people were working on and in that same sort of wheelhouse where it's malleable who did or did not create everything I, <laughs> it, for a specific subset of right-wing dude and creator uh they are like no no by god you will you will you will you will have to call a SWAT team because uh hydrillium will cook your steak and it will inflate her tits Okay, mm -hmm. mini mozzarella, Mitski mozzarella. 
You know, I, I was, it's another thing I got to say, I identify with Aaron Factor about this guy just wants fucking credit. You know, he yeah. came up with a lot of this shit. He did the work. Seems to be. It, yeah, he got money from his dad. Okay. But he really is doing the fucking work. And there are so many interviews with him and he's very active on YouTube to his detriment and Twitter. <laughs> um, he's gotten into some really stupid drama I will get into later, but he does. Ooh, a star of David. He does design and make stuff. He really does. You know, he, he does the work and I right. understand being incredibly sensitive to no, actually that was fucking me. I did that. Even if other people were working on something that became more popular later, I was, I was the guy I was there doing it. Like I get it. And I, I can definitely kind of see a little bit how that might drive certain people insane. Um, he does, he has kind of this history of like, he's always a little bit of the underdog in terms of technology development. Like he's never, he's never hit, you know, Elon Musk and, and Musk is not an inventor is the other thing is Fector as far as I can tell. Yeah. He stole a lot of ideas from, from employees and stuff. It does seem like, but you know, a lot of the stuff he, he was doing on his own, um, and hasn't really gotten the, the, uh, the reputation that he possibly might even deserve about it and I'm, I'm sure he's bitter um his twitter is a mess it is a fucking mess and it's just twitter.com slash rockafire yeah uh, it, it's very random and scattered oh yeah here he is right up front top post he's he wants to talk about being jewish um even though he is as i said very much a chud so i don't know if he's like an israel guy or if he's just shit posting well... You know, I can't speak in the first person, but there's like, there's a specific sort of Zionist that has liberal trappings. And then there's the right wing person where you're ostensibly like an evangelical who thinks that, uh, you know, the Star of David is really cool. Uh, Especially but, uh, in Florida. This, this is very much yeah. a Florida thing as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I won't speak out of turn on it, but that's where my mom grew up and it's it's just a cultural thing there are a lot of conservative conservative jewish people living in orlando mm -hmm. so it's yeah. it's a thing yeah uh yeah the, the the that's the thing i i i think even when i've been personally involved in fucking uh um i don't know i i wouldn't have called it like uh, culture war or whatever. Yeah, it's it's not that it's not that weird for uh, eccentric creators to have very uh, punctuated political beliefs that they sort of wear on their sleeve. Because honestly, for the most part, I think just being on social media, uh, in the hour count uh, that a lot of people are, uh, a lot of politics is sort of affectation, and also, all right. I know how engagement works. I'm going to try to weave that into it. And maybe this can make what I am doing relevant in some way or another when it's like, no, man, if you're constantly moving on the same current, then you're just a part of the current. You can't control it. Uh, a, a lot of people in culture war crap uh, had had a big, big sort of terror with uh, the various gate movements or whatever. But the thing is, every era has that uh prior prior to like a lot of right-wing people in comic books or whatever and people thinking of this this massive problem you had like you had these guys doing independent comics where they thought of uh 
this this one radio host slash Fox News television personality. And they would basically have a rendition of him as like Solid Snake from uh from Metal Gear Solid. And also that like Drudge from the Drudge Report was fucking assassinated. And this was like a big pivotal scene in it. People people kind of reduce almost everything to this weird sort of fandom where they want you to be wrapped up in this idea that a purchasing decision will then mean you've you've won you've you've beaten the people and the the fucking weird thing about rock of fire is like uh you're not really gonna you're not gonna really make that work on those terms when i saw rock of fire uh in the modern era it was with uh CeeLo green and uh, that uh performance of fuck you with the with the robot guys mm-hmm. oh i'm They're, sure he got paid pretty well for that yeah they're like just give me your cheeriest uh horniest looking uh skin human skin bear people that you can (laughs) mr rockifier and boom there it is good lord there's a very funny part just to give the audience a uh picture of, of his twitter there's a 2013 tweet where he says, I've been asked to bring the Rock of Fire to be put into a real movie with real stars and a very famous director. And then there is a 2018 follow-up that says, why am I just seeing this? Did you lose my phone number? Was this the Ryan Gosling project? And then wait. he responds later, oh, wait a minute. I tweeted this myself. Twitter is hard. Why did this come up? I think I'll go back to not taking Twitter more than once a year. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I, it's just, you're literally looking at an old dude responding to his five-year-old tweets that uh, rule i see I my dad my dad does it every year on facebook oh and i think the movie he's referencing is is the the only thing that's on the wikipedia is that the uh the robots showed up in the key then the key and peel uh kind of flop keanu which yeah. was like just before get out came out almost in the same year i want to say mm-hmm. um uh it was a, a you know a movie that the keegan michael key and jordan peel made together and it's very much included on the aaron factor and i think the rock of fire page as well on wikipedia that they showed up in this movie and it's such a minor detail for what i can only imagine is like a background shot of some sort in the film it that, is yeah yeah. I have to, you got to know it's him putting this on the Wikipedia page. Uh, cause why? Cause you know, cause he's got to, he, that's the credit where credit's due right there. Um, those are his robots. They're in that movie. Yeah. It's, uh, he uses, it's, it's the moose. He points out in one of the interviews, he points specifically to a, a moose head that used to be animatronic, you know, like a, a taxidermied moose head on a wall that used to be animatronic, kind of like Billy Bass or whatever. Um, but over the years, because the nose of the moose is so heavy, the latex has melted. And so now it's Uh, this like really long, stretchy, just horrifying looking moose head. Um, and he, he I guess it was like a background shot. Mm. So, yeah. Dark crystal character or something. It is now. I mean, that's the Uh, thing. That's what I was saying. Why I identify with him about his inability to design anything even vaguely appealing, even when it's not, you know, thirty years old, old and melted. Um, Because I can't do it either. I can't draw cute characters, you know. And I I look at people who have their entire 
career built on, you know, drawing something, you know, very beautiful and, and cute and sort of uh, neotenous and uh, like anime girls or, or whatever it is that they do. And I don't know how people do that. So I, I completely identify with Aaron in that respect. But what I did not do is base my entire career on appealing to, <laughs> to children using uh, cute cartoon characters because I can't fucking do it. And I think that's really the difference between, you know, a normal artist and the Aaron Fector type, the, the sort of unhinged mad genius kind of guy who's like really bitter from his career, is that this dude does not know what his strengths are. He's he's too narcissistic, maybe. Like he can't he can't look at his work and say, That's horrible. Children are afraid of that. You know, he just kind of keeps trying to sell it to them. He doesn't, he also doesn't seem to understand what the appeal is of Five Nights at Freddy's. Like at no point in any of the interviews with him do I ever see him say, and maybe he does at some point, he never says, oh, I completely understand why people would be afraid of these animatronics. Yeah, they scare the shit out of me. He never says that. Um, so it's like he just doesn't, he doesn't have that part of his brain, that that polar express rejection part of the brain where you can look at something like that and be like um he just knows that five nights at freddy's is very popular with children and therefore could result in profit for him it's right it's very interesting you say that because uh for some people uh sort of self-awareness can work against you in the Mm. sense that like uh when some artists say that uh they're it, it is simply actions I'm doing that I don't commit a lot of thought to, and I don't do this to be profitable. You know, very few people are saying that, and it's like actually true. The 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 few people who can say that are the people that, that uh, basically are operating a great deal of their career off of the sunk cost fallacy, uh, like they're going to get a yield or something. But the thing is, the animating factor for those people is much different than, say, someone who tries to cultivate themselves uh, and and kind of work based on call and response stuff. It's 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 kind of that fine line. A lot of people try to define what is and is not a hack, because hack a lot of people sort of define as sort of writing based or creating, I should say, based on audience expectation. But, I mean, the longer you're committed to anything, your idea of audience expectation, uh, it has to factor into it at some point or another because you've defined your voice on your terms and you have to see what they respond to. So you have to have this idea of yourself. So you have to be aware of things like novelty. I think Aaron Fector doesn't, get what novelty is but uh he he could kind of quantify what he does as entertaining but also moving other things he does forward when the when the the rock of fire explosion the action and not the band uh, happened uh, yeah (laughs) the incident I, I'm going to do that dance every time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think it's so great. He's going to threaten it, it, I'm looking forward he, to it. His, his life, his life was a Coen Brothers series of circumstances yes. where, where his twin loves 
of unnatural looking human skin animals and alternative fuel towards a better <laughs> shared end for mankind coalesced and he 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 made one of the biggest post 9-11 explosions that was not uh as a result of like malfeasance or poorly handled life right, accidental explosions like it's amazing that no one died i mean the, yeah, the, the yeah. sheer power of that Wild. explosion um I gotta, I gotta look up some pictures of it now because I remember it being quite bad. Um, <laughs> the rocket fire crater, fuck! Oh god. <sighs> There's really a commitment to uh, this guy, really just um, kind of just sticking to. I mean, it's like he's never been employed by anyone else since he was you know probably like 18 or 19 or whatever like short of getting his stuff into the into the uh the showbiz pizza restaurants like everything he does is under creative engineering rock fire explosion i made all of this stuff it's all done by me even to this day um he sells like premium video access to his lat to what he's doing what he's like what he's up to and i'm assuming there's enough people that he can you know keep this up but if you go to his website, there is a insider video club. And uh, it's I was because I was like you mentioned earlier, like, what is he even doing these days uh, to make money? Apparently, it's this. And he even says, he, I lived my dream to my 20s. I went big and achieved it. I continually share this excitement and experience with you, the viewer. He's pretty much saying, like, I'm chilling. Like, I'm not I even he, I don't need to make that much money. He's lying. I, you know, having, having I, you know, known. Fair. First of all, I mean, just his interviews and shit based like, compared to what we actually know about him. He's so full of shit. This is this is an interesting incident, actually. Um, there's a YouTuber named Carpetbagger, uh, unappealing name, but he does a lot of interesting tours of various things like abandoned amusement parks, amusement parks that are just sort of holding on by their fingernails, you know, stuff falling apart. Um, he's also done the, the trade show. He did a really good animatronic trade show youtube that he just went around and looked at people who were building stuff for like haunted houses and shit which is cool because i i love the horror based animatronics because you can really lean into that uncanny thing it doesn't matter if they look appealing to children they should look as horrible as possible so i kind of was aware of carpetbagger but he did an interview slash tour of uh aaron fector's warehouse and Aaron Factor just like glommed onto this guy and decided that, you know, this was going to be the dude who hauled him out of obscurity. Um, and, you know, it might it might be like a new might might even be like a favorite person kind of thing going on in, in the mental health uh, sense of the of the term. Um, but he paired up with Carpetbagger a little bit after the interview slash tour and made little like claw machine sized stuffed characters out of him just little little plushies um so i don't want a plushie of a short bald guy who wears a pork pie hat like that's not i'm not interested in that but i don't know maybe there's a market and aaron fector then went on to charge 111 dollars each for these little things and again i have to emphasize they are about the size of an apple it's it is the kind of just garbage shit that you would get for tickets at chuck e cheese or get out of a claw machine or whatever 
$111. And so, of course, everybody on YouTube, where he posts a lot and where Carpetbagger has his audience, was like, uh, sure, man, you know, I'll have a, a shitty little toy. That's fine. I like I like that kind of stuff. I like Carpetbagger. But 100 bucks? Are you crazy? And, of course, Aaron, like, tripled down on this. Um, and, of course, because they can detect easily that there is blood in the water, a bunch of people started to really get on his case about it because he turned into a new lol cow. And he started to get into, like, individual beefs with teenagers who were on the Carpetbagger Discord, oh but God. who were also oh Rocket Fire fandom participants. You know, like, 16-year-olds who had grown up with Five Nights at Freddy's and who used to be really big fans of Aaron, and then he got weird with them. I don't know if there's any pedo stuff going on, but I would not be surprised. Um, I certainly haven't seen anything like that, but he is definitely the type. And in fact, in the Rock of Fire documentary, he is shown to either have married or be in a domestic partnership with a former Rock of Fire fan who is like 20 years his junior, at least. Oh, um, well, yeah, cool. so it's that kind of thing. But this little plush carpetbagger doll situation, there's like a bunch of YouTubes now about it from various people who are mad and like posting receipts and they all have 2000 views or whatever. So it was a very small, very focused drama about this bullshit. And one of the things that Aaron did after this had been going on for a few weeks was to post that, well, I sold out of all of my carpetbagger plushes, but lucky you, I've reordered them and I've lowered the price. So now I'm only charging a hundred bucks for them. But he was doing things like, I have to personally vet you if you're going to buy one of these because a couple YouTubers raised the money, bought them, and then made silly videos of like the dolls humping each other or whatever. And Aaron just flipped out. He went <laughs> So his response to this was to set up a personal vetting system for anybody who wanted to buy one of these $100 claw machine dolls. And like, oh you have to God. exchange email with him and convince him that you're legit or he won't sell you one. <laughs> Like so he's clearly is he lying a libertarian? About is he a libertarian i have to know probably like i well i don't i don't want to give someone the scarlet l if uh, i don't know but fucking oh, I think he's got enough else to go around oh man <laughs> good god yeah what happens when i type in aaron fector libertarian um i'm on uh so i'm on the store because i wanted to see when you mentioned he was selling plushes, I just went to check out what that was like. And every single plush, because uh, he does make them for his original characters, over $100. Mm -hmm. That's uh, easy. The cheapest, 125 for Billy Bob, the most iconic of the bears. Who thinks but that that's a reasonable manufacturing I, price, I think? Or maybe his connections for manufacturing is himself. Like, I can't even... Unless he is literally sewing them by hand, yeah. one by one, I can't even imagine where he's getting that price from. But they're sixteen-inch plushes, but that's that's so that's wild. You know, uh, he's one of these guys who's but, what seventy now, and he's still dyeing his hair brown. So I mean, yeah, you can also I want to say you can buy eyeballs. You can buy Rockafire Explosion character eyeballs. No, no, yeah, no. They're $165, which is a steep price. God. That's the thing. Just... I think I think he's weighing out the process of someone that is hyper fixated on this 
versus regular regular yearly sales, and he probably makes the passive decision in his mind, like, okay, if I do oh, this, sure. I, if I do this at a hundred or whatever, it's going to be more money than if I just kept it at like the actual reasonable price of uh, like ten ten dollars. Those the top. same people are going to buy them no matter what, probably. So yeah. Uh, He'd then do that. Uh, and it's also especially telling that, yeah, he tripled down on the one thing, probably raised the price. And then when he lowered his price, it was at the price he fucking started. <laughs> He's lying about selling out. I mean, this is this this guy is from the fake it till you make it generation, you know, like oh, sure. boomers who come from this sort of self-made man archetype. And there are a lot of them because there it used to be possible to do to just show up and bullshit your way into a successful career. You used to be able to do that. And to a certain extent, you still can. You know, I mean, you can make a YouTube channel or whatever. You can. But uh, you can, you can start a podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but so I think that he probably considers that kind of thing just marketing, you know? Like, that's just, those Those were the rules. He was a powerful 1980s businessman. You you can see the logo for creative engineering, which he definitely designed himself on uh, on the, the Gizmodo and Hackaday links that I sent. Um, oh, Lord. The creative engineering logo is amazing. It's like a cyborg <laughs> dude on a, on a gridded background. He's like shooting lasers out of his eyeballs and, and like oh, part of them. Yeah. Aaron Factor definitely drew that. So... That explosion, the pictures of the explosion are, are shocking. It's it's amazing that no one died. Um, but I guess it's because oh, yeah. he's alone in this warehouse all the time. There's nobody in there anymore. And that's why no one died, because he's completely alone. <laughs> it's it's horrible to, to think about. Um I mean I mean that it is it is the narrator it is that narrative of a certain type of creator though, like even even if they're borrowing from their own till to throw it like into the donations cup to just give the impression of actually we're making a lot of money and we're having a lot of new unique users or whatever, uh, which is definitely it's a definitely thing in uh, right wing circles, especially online. A lot of the people from those sort of like GoFundMe's or Indiegogo. Indiegogo is like their site because it's one of the few that won't kick them off. Uh, so basically they'll do their culture war shit on their social media or whatever, but then they'll have like flat $500 donations from John, one word, Steve, one word. Right. Uh, and the thing is, it, it, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing really new air to air. It's just like the faculties with which we have to do these things. Uh, what what I like about this, this sort of specific type of creator is like uh, someone who kind of imagines themselves as hard scrabble comes from nothing, probably inherited wealth, and then uh, you've made something and you've definitively made a mark, and no one could tell you any different. We certainly aren't, uh, but then your 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 sort of commitment to making the thing that is clearly not cool cool and not lean into the sort of novel aspect of it. Uh, I, I very seldom think of uh, people in other fields to sort of do that uh, where they, they easily could. Uh, but 
uh, like people in film, for example, film or music, uh, Morrissey. Y'all, y'all ever hear about this guy called Morrissey? Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard. All right, all right, couldn't, so, be, so, couldn't, all right. couldn't be me. For, for the un, for the uninitiated, there's this band called the Smiths, and there was this tall gay man who kind of looked like like a a Fred Flintstone type, very large forehead, very caveman like in uh, structure. Mexicans love him. No one knows why. Uh, and yeah, then, yeah, he, he hates Muslims or whatever, but he, he constantly talks about his music, not getting enough radio play or this or that. And the thing is like, you can't actually force anyone to like you, but you already have a wealth of things people like you for, uh, your your musical stylings, uh, the the lyricism in your old songs, the the poppiness and melancholy of those songs. You know, there are better bands like The Cure or whatever, but the Smiths do whatever the Smiths do. Uh, in terms of in terms of creators, you could you could say like maybe share some sort of kinship with Aaron, or do you think he's singular on his own, Eliza? I I. Th- I feel that Aaron Fector is a type of guy. I I, mm. I really, you know, I see his type. Elon Musk is like the obvious comparison with with the big difference being that, you know, Elon is a fake. He's not he's not a scientist. Yeah. He's just like a a bankroller figurehead. Yeah. Um whereas I think that even while I would guess that Fector has probably stolen a lot of ideas from employees over the years, uh, you know, John Galt style. I, I also would consider him probably like a real, a real engineer, a real scientist. I might be wrong about that. Maybe he's stolen all of his ideas, but I haven't seen any evidence or claims along those lines. And he does seem to know what he's doing. Um, he's just, he's w- what you would call, I, I'm trying to think of, there are two sort of applicable Yiddish terms, the Shlemiel and the Shlemazel. Um, I think the the idiom goes that the shlemiel is the guy who spills the soup and the shlemazel is the guy who gets the soup spilled on him. So in a sense, Aaron is a shlemazel type. Shit's always happening to him. He, you know, he never, he never gets credit for shit. Everyone knows who Chuck E. Cheese is. No one knows who fucking Rockefeller is. Uh, a really good example in the, it's either in one of his warehouse tours or it's in the Rockefeller documentary. I can't remember which. He takes the camera to a room and he holds up this little thing that looks like a very smooth, small typewriter. And he goes on to explain that this was supposed to be a home computing device that set up, I think it was a peer-to-peer network that would allow people to send, uh, you know, telegraphic messages to each other from house to house. And he was developing this in you know, like the 80s. Um, and then email got big a few years later, like before he was able to do anything about it. And he's, of course, there are always people who are involved in these projects that are always getting preempted. The the Betamax was, you know, the classic example. Betamax was overtaken by VHS and is considered to be a superior technology by a lot of people. Um, And I've, I've done that. I was working on a startup that was supposed to, we were called gimmenow.com. And mm. I was I was the onboard graphic designer, and our entire 
business model fell apart because eBay introduced buy it now or wish lists or something like that. I can't remember, but it was one of those things where we had all worked on this, you know, nothing as big as email, but certainly like a new technology for eight months. And then one of the big sites just ripped the rug out from under us. And that was it. That was the end of the business. We all quit and went home and that was it. Um, and it seems like Aaron Vector has done that over and over and over again, just putting enormous amounts of work into stuff. And now he has this warehouse, which is full of rotting latex and yep. robots and stuff. And he is so out of it that he is not even able to perceive this place as scary. Uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's evidenced by uh, the fact he never really moved. It's the one thing he didn't move on from. Right. Uh like he will, he will have all of these oh, yeah. anecdotal stories, but like at the end of the day, uh, you are the rock of fire explosion guy. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you're always trying not to be the rock of fire. That. He's a professor <laughs> Farnsworth. You know, Farnsworth mm -hmm. is never, he's what's his, his Wernstrom, you know, it's Wernstrom who's is involved yeah. with all the successful technology. And even though Farnsworth. Yeah, Farnsworth is a genius. He's just rotting away in his warehouse, inventing stuff that nobody cares about. And Fector is, you know, much less likable, but he's he's certainly doing, I think, has a similar arc. Um, and he's desperately hanging on to Next. youth. He's desperately hanging on to relevance. He really does think that Rock of Fire is going to come back, that there's going to be some sort of animatronics uh redux that he will be able to be on the cutting edge of because he never left he's always been there and i think he really oh, clung yeah. on to the the freddy's thing as as part of that there's a video of him doing a birthday yeah, party because he mm. he rents his warehouse for for tours and birthday parties and he has a functional rock of fire explosion and he's he's trying to give an educational tour to these eight-year-olds who only care about five nights at freddy's and to Aaron's credit, he's doing his best, but the the parents are just doing fuck all. And you, you really have to like coach kids to pay attention to, you know, museum presentations and stuff, or they're not going to get it and they're going to get bored. And the parents aren't cooperating at all. So Aaron is doing his best. Like he's, he's really trying to say, you know, hey, kids, what's this called? That's an endoskeleton. Well, who came up with that term? Scott Cawthon. Oh, he said he came up with it, did he? But he doesn't like actually elaborate on it the way that you should if you're leading a tour for kids and the parents don't you know they don't participate in it so he it is a failure i think in terms of like child education but it's an interesting watch because you can see his disconnect between trying to talk to these eight-year-olds about something that really interests them five nights at freddy's and just completely losing his audience because he does not have the empathy to know what it is about the thing that he's talking about appeals to people. Um, What's well, the same? It's the same motivation that makes him go in and think he could kind of do what like a tour guide sort of person can do where you can give a, cons you can give an instructive uh, talk uh, and you can have like didactic action. But the thing is also, Oh, Hey, these are children. These are like, we're just getting abstractions now. So you're trying to give a, a sort of talk about this thing when the big gleaming metal, those faces are completely dry, but because of the leather, these awful looking things have a sheen on them. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and yeah, you can hear something constructive, and but but uh, you—that's a child. They're just going to get their eyes glued to the nearest iconography. I don't think it's bad necessarily. Take kids to like museums. Uh, God, no, one not of my, at all. My one of my favorite experiences as a as a young kid was going to like the DIA. The DIA. Uh, uh, one of my one of my favorite murals ever is in there. It's so good. But fucking DIA, so many so many great and interesting paintings. A lot of interesting exhibits. Whenever they'll be like having rotating exhibits, but uh, not to fully Biden out here. But the the thing is, uh, with with that that lack of empathy, as you say, mm-hmm. it's also sort of. Uh, what keeps him an engineering guy and thinks about what's new about that. But w- what's removed from it is he has to be, he has to be everything. And so he is a singular figure. He doesn't incorporate mm-hmm. others and uh, connection and sort of cooperation to have someone like fill in what you, you quite pr- literally cannot do because you don't have that set of eyes. He mm-hmm. does not have a set of eyes that uh, tells him I should move in a direction and do something either new or reboot this thing mm-hmm. uh, to try to have it appeal to the, the trends of the now. Yeah. But it's also sort of that, that bit of genius that is going to make him fucking sink with this ship. And as he's, he's going down, like he's going to look less like him and more like one of them. He will have the sheen. He will have the rosy, airbrushed cheeks. His father uh, will be a he will, he, will, he will look like the fucking Rockafire ape. Uh, he hasn't gotten to the Mickey Rooney stage, but he's definitely, he's getting a little, you know, aging in Florida look. Mm. Um, I, I always think about um, he, one of the only nice things that I got out of the Gifted Kid program is uh, they they used to take us to the Seattle Opera. And they would take us during dress rehearsal because, you know, it doesn't matter if you screw up if the audience is a bunch of kids, right? They're not going to know any better. So they got this gang of kids who want to go to the opera, which is a nice self-selecting audience, right? Like if a 13-year-old wants to go to the opera, that's that's good. That's a good that's a good audience. But the best thing about it was that before the opera, they would shuffle us all into this little room that had a piano in it. And this guy would come out. And I think his name was Perry. But he worked for the Seattle Opera, either as a volunteer or he was just like their resident intellectual. And he would sit down at the piano and he would play a riff from uh, What's Opera Doc? Or he would play from Rabbit of Seville. And he'd say, okay, so oh, who yeah. likes Looney Tunes? Who recognizes yeah. this? And we'd go, me, me, I love that cartoon. And he'd go, okay, well, that's the opera we're going to see today. And then he would, on the piano the whole time, like fucking Victor Borga over here, Tom Lear, he would do this lecture with us and it was not a fully one-way lecture. It would be a back and forth conversation contextualizing what we were about to see. It was some of the most brilliant pedagogy I've ever seen or, or been subject to because he knew exactly what children like about cartoons and, and the cartoons that we had seen. And we all liked Bugs Bunny and thought, you know, Elmer Fudd was funny. And then he would say the reason why that cartoon was made was because of this opera. Here are the riffs from the opera Here's what what the these you know songs mean in their context, and also you know like a Wikipedia plot synopsis. Here's what's going to happen in the opera because if you go into an opera that was written in the 1700s without knowing that in advance, you're going to be fucking lost. Um, 
So that was amazing. And that's that's like the best way to talk to kids. Uh, and that's what Aaron Fector should be doing, but I don't think he's capable of, uh, of, of contextualizing this stuff, you know? I think he's trying, but I just, I don't think he has the kind of empathy that it takes to, to really know uh, what, what your audience needs, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. For me, for me, I think it's if part of even doing this is, uh, I don't know. I I've been kind of, I've kind of been philosophically going over the current moment of the world and also not wanting to be dragged down into it anymore. Because I, I want to have I want to have a a sense of memory that goes beyond a week or three days into the future. Where mm-hmm. There's all of this stuff I have to be pissed off about on X amount of terms, and I need to reassert that. And I think part of it was, you know, what what matters to me, what uh, sort of I value is sort of that those those aha moments where yeah you're being taught something and there's an instructive quality to it uh that will inform you personally but it will also have this and not always i want to stress the sort of the sort of mutations effect uh it where it will then spur you to think i've collected all of these sensibilities and all of these things i love particularly of what what can I say with my voice to 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 get it out there? And I think it's definitely one of the things about Aaron Fector. Like, it, it shouldn't be thought of as a cautionary tale. He's he's a he is the only guy that could have turned out the fucking way he did. Yeah, uh, and that's the amazing part of creation and not lionizing or mythologizing uh, creators, but but the these sort of stories of of people with singular vision is that yeah they have a set of fucking tunnel vision but uh what they see in that tunnel is going to be vastly different than what you or i see uh i i think i think of this particularly uh now uh shit since doom died or whatever and he was about kind of letting the self take a back seat to the work this guy is uh what happens if that's the only way you see it and you are constantly stuck on one piece of work but but what's also incredible is what it happens if you extrapolate that over decades right that part is the thing you do for 20 to 30 years long after you've made the thing you've made which is incredible because at some point or another yeah uh, everything will coalesce your you will have a rock of fire explosion that I mean, emits, it's, emits it's, a blast wave. and It's on the banner of his site. 40 <laughs> plus years of history still creating. Like, yeah. he really is. Uh, he's he's really out there building these animatronics every day. Uh, presumably. You, you can buy a, a kit from him about it, which is Yeah, wild. the animatronics kit is cool. How yeah, much is that? Like, How much does it cost? Like a grand. It's uh, chunky. Well, it's it's very, a grand. Yeah. Oh, uh, nope. I mean, I'm it not comes saying with, it's like, not very looking hardware. Yeah. I would love to buy that for uh, a kid. What a good idea. You know, I can't afford it, but I mean, his animatronics are, are, are so fucking cool. There's this great part. And I mean, you can see all this stuff on YouTube because a lot of people like found VHS tapes from old pizza restaurants or whatever and uploaded it. But there's a great 
uh, instructional video about how to puppeteer the rock of fire explosion. And it was filmed in, you know, 1980 or whatever for the, for the restaurant franchises. And I love the details on the Billy Bob bear uh, animatronics. And the thing that I always remember most about it is that it has two hand plates on the, on the dashboard to control this bear. And each hand plate has five buttons on it for each finger and, and oh, thumbs. Wow. And then the plate itself is a, a a disc that you tilt, you know, on X and Y axes and, and maybe even more than the X and Y axes, maybe, you know, in between those two um, to control up, down, left, right and moving arms and stuff of the bear. So I think right, right hand controls his head and moves his head around. And then the mm -hmm. buttons do different things to trigger macros or to, or to like move the mouth or blink the eyes and stuff. And then the left hand I think is body. So it's exactly like a marionette setup actually with the two hands and the strings, each going from the different parts of the doll. Same thing. Brilliant. I've never seen anything like it for all. I know other animatronics are controlled the same way. I don't know. I was just really impressed by this particular scene. So there's so much i would love to buy that in a kit you know for a kid that would be great um i kind of forgot what my point was here but no no you you're you're basically talking about how it how it's how the actual process goes and wanting to learn about that firsthand i think yeah. you're, you're sort of getting at and why that would be cool for for a child to see or hell an adult yeah. And it's not even like, you know, there can't be too many people in the art of animatronics that are no. uh, active, let alone that have oh, as much uh, experience as this guy. Yeah. Right. Like, and this well, is something I mean, more people are making more movies with practical effects now because people are tired of CGI. So it's not like animatronics are going to become obsolete. They just aren't. No. You know, Disney is not going to replace their rides with screens. You know, the rides oh, are yeah, no, screens and stuff, but people are always going to want, they want those simulacra, you know, they want the, the mechanical Turk. Um, it's not something that people are ever going to get tired of. So it would be great if this dude would just get over himself and realize, Hey, I'm 70 years old. Uh, why don't I inherit the, the teaching role that I should have already gotten to in this this process of, of, of human maturity, but um, I, I find him a little bit tragic. Actually, he does. He seems to be to be kind of sad in his his obsession. He's so stuck on this this thing. Yeah, you definitely get the sense that um, you know he he's the most concerned about the rock of fire explosion, and he always will be the most concerned about the rock of fire explosion, and everyone else around him kind of just lets that kind of just lets that rock like it's his stuff you can't really tell him what what to do but you know when the rest of the world kind of continues on around you and you continue to just go back to the same well yeah that's what you see like it's not mm -hmm. um well i mean he's, he's not a very he's not a very of the times guy well the, he doesn't seem to want to be the thing is also uh i mean that's also just uh what makes him interesting is as, as creator wise also that, that could determine if you even have people enter your circle, all of the impressions I seem to get uh, from everything you you've said tonight is that uh, to enter into any sort of a friendship or engagement with this guy 
is to then interact with, okay, his ability to monetize this or that. And it probably burns more bridges than it builds. Yeah. Uh, and it's why he's very singular. And I, I would hazard if you, if there, that, that Tumblr beef you mentioned about innocence or this or that, I can't help but think that maybe he was one of the posters. And maybe. somewhere out there, there's an Aaron Fector uh, Tumblr uh, sock puzzle. You know, he he's clearly has smart enough. And fans, you know. Yeah, I bet he's got Google alerts set up for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, this dude's a yeah. name searcher for yeah, no, sure. Yeah. yeah, because this guy is a name searcher because he doesn't strike me as someone that is as engaged with people without directly charging them to be like, all right, I'm this kind of guy. Uh, I have snitch taggers that will just. Right the snitch tag you on everything hey guys look what such and such had to say about that explosion that was a complete accident and no mortality i need to emphasize this no one died no one died the band is the rock of fire explosion explosion the event is the explosion at the plant that created the rock of fire explosion okay i need to i need to outline it in that way okay every time uh for legal reasons he really does seem like a guy though like if i were to log on to twitter right now and say wow it's been a long time since i thought of those rock of fire bears mm -hmm. i sure do love them and miss them i hope everything's great i would put money down on him responding to me within 72 hours yeah. you know yeah like, just, i mean like, it, just, it just, just seems to be on a several month cycle i think what that's what true. people yeah. have observed is that he log he will respond to stuff that's like you know a year old so he he, he does it but it doesn't seem to be like obsessive which is good um is better than it better than it could be there is an interesting twitter interaction with him i only saw it screenshotted on a youtube video i don't have it in front of me in a tab but it was just him saying something about i don't know muslims or 9-11 or something and someone replying and be like man can you put this on your personal account please i just want to follow for rock fire updates and he's like how dare you you know and said something referring to uh the fact that he was quote catering to their fetish like he used the oh, word no. fetish in in reference to to the the fan slash customer that he was talking to and the guy uh the 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 fan replied and is like fetish what the fuck are you talking about dude that's weird what a weird thing to say but that i don't know if that was just like a slip of the tongue or if he was just being insulting on purpose or if that is how he genuinely views these people does he oh. think that they are fetishists it's very odd <laughs> I and mean, if so, yeah, he like, might have had some run-ins with furries. Hell yeah! Maybe, no, he had maybe to have had run-ins with furries. Like you know, not maybe as a boomer, he probably yeah, wasn't really. Say, hold on. Did the poster? Did the poster like have their fursona in their avatar in their bio? I don't huh? remember, but as far as I know, there yeah. was nothing weird about them. But I'll, okay. again, if I had a Twitter screenshot and it, someone had a furry avatar, I wouldn't have noticed. Because, you know, yeah. that's the milieu that we live in and that Aaron never will because he's he's old and out of touch. Honestly, my parents are far more in touch than this. So, you know, every time I see a boomer who's like this far gone, it's weird to me because they they get stuff. <laughs> no. you know? If oh, I explain things to them, they get it. They're on top of stuff. My dad would never behave this way online. My, my dad, my dad is my dad is far gone, but he's like far gone as like a platitude guy. 
like I guess I describe my father as like a liberal, but like a liberal in so far as like he knows cultural signifiers. It's not like a thing he incorporates into his life outside of maybe conversations with people on Facebook. I know this because Facebook will show me posts he he makes at people and it'll be like, listen, guys, you know, left or right at the end of the day, we're all American and he'll spell it wrong and he'll put a comma at a fucked up place like he's something awful or fiad posting at people. I mean, it makes me mad because they're like very good tweets through that lens, but he's just saying very boilerplate shit to people and it's all he can do. But like, if I explain something to him and I'll be like, listen, you don't have to believe the leftist stuff I believe or this or that. And I know it's real hard to litigate what objective truth is now, but mm-hmm. fucking uh you this is just misinformation dad do you see how many artifacts are on this fucking jpeg of this meme you just showed me like it it you even have to admit at some level or another it looks it looks almost like a deep fried meme it looks like a it looks like a lie of some kind it doesn't look truthful and it'll be like yeah okay but listen i'm just sharing it now does that mean i believe what it says no, it's like yeah. fucking oh. the ultimate the ultimate move. That's that's the ultimate chess move, right? There. Yeah, but they don't understand social media. They don't know what that. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't get a lot of that higher end stuff. He just knows like he's one of those people that will always say, "You give the government all these people these information. That's how they get you." And he'll be like, "That's how they get you, guy." But also incredibly a- active and publicly posting oh, yeah. Um, it's pages of incredible. yeah yeah but he'll also yeah but i'll forgive him because that contradiction means nothing when he's just like constantly posting uh his reaction is like a down pat reaction of blinking eye gifts right be like blink, blink and then not like the 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 guy from giant bomb but just simply cartoon Garfield style eyes blinking and you know that's what he does but yeah uh, in terms of in terms of that like Fector Fector sort of seems like the the the, the right wing inverse of that where uh, he will maybe try to insert some sort of jab or jibe at someone saying something contradictory instead of being like uh, listen this is what I believe if you don't like that fuck off don't follow me like, yeah. you're going to say that even if a right wing person said that it'd be like, well, OK, uh, that seems like a pretty boilerplate answer to that sort of thing. Right. Uh, he and, has no chill. He, yeah. he is either I think he's either like clinically manic. And sometimes you do get people who are, you know, either they've got bipolar and they've just they're just manic most of the time or they clinically are manic like all the time. It's either that. Or There's not a, it's, it's not a politically correct way to say this, but like I think of I, I sort of think of a lot of artists as people that are sort of, you know, sober people with cokehead ideas yes. in a lot of ways. It is. Where, absolutely, I, I confirm that. Well as, yeah. Well I mean, that subjectively, that is my reality. I behave as a mentally ill person and an artist. I behave as if I am on drugs, even when I am stone sober. Not all the time, but a lot of the time, yeah. I get 
the the coke ideas you get the 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 running at the mouth the you know grandiosity the pepe sylvia stuff where you're like here's my new project Mm -hmm. um it's definitely that and i mean it can be cocaine a lot of a lot of it he does act like an 80s cocaine guy uh, and living in Florida, you know, maybe you just have a connection since the 70s that has never gone anywhere. I, I could definitely see that being the case. Um, certainly uh, a lot but, of artists do. But, but again, it can also it just be, be, could be it sobriety. Can be how you are. Yeah, it can. I have known artists who are like that. And I am like, if, at my best, I act like someone who has taken some very nice cocaine. Um, you know, is that all of those, all of those chemicals, they're endogenous. They live in your brain. The only thing that exogenous drugs do is unlock those, those neural transmitters to, to hit the, uh, hit the right spots and make you feel that way. But you're totally capable of doing that on your own (laughs) with the, with the right prodding. So I could see it going either way with him, but he's not normal. Um, you can look at any interview of him. He talks like a carnival barker. Uh, he's just always like, Hey guys, welcome to the warehouse and this idea and this idea, and I'm going to do this. And here's what I did in 1985. Just it's constant. It's appealing. You know, you can just kind of listen to him talk. He'll, he'll take you away. Um, but yeah, always on comes to mind. Oh, hell yeah. There's definitely something going on there. Um, sometimes Jesus people are like that. Sometimes people just, You know, they, oops, sorry, I got to turn off my alarm. Um, yeah, I, I've known I've known Jesus people who are just high on the Lord, and they get they got the ideas and the the runny mouth, and they're they're a pleasure to listen to sometimes if you're in the right mood for it. So uh, there's there's like a certain type of Jesus person, like like if there's someone, I I would I would hazard even if they they are someone that may not necessarily. They, they, they like sweat bullets if like a trans person is around them or some shit but like uh for the most part you ask them any questions and they're just like a normal person where they don't have the to sort of pedantry youtube playlist they've went with so that if they have a uncomfortable uh interaction with the person they know how to do the countering the judo the parries they know all the hitboxes when it comes to interacting with a non-Christian. And instead, you're just like, all right, here's here's what I really like about these stories. And for the most part, like, the best part of religion for me would be, like, shared, shared communal storytelling. Uh, now, the outcomes of that, you know, as it relates to Abrahamic faith, uh, you know, all over the fucking place, but... Uh, I think of that also in terms of uh, the, the the creative impulse. Uh, like there's a there's a lineage of guys with the the, the sort of singular nature, but Aaron Fector seems uh, interesting on on this sort of sort of view because he's, he's someone that also hasn't had the success that uh, that a lot of those other people had had. Uh, right, and and at the cost of keeping all of his shit uh under his umbrella mm. right mm-hmm. or at the price i guess of that yeah yeah one um, of the reasons that you know Rockefeller went under is that he refused to hand over the uh the image rights of his characters to the Chuck E. cheese people so they were like okay fuck you and that that triggered the 
the apocalypse known as the concept unification and concept unification we should put we'll put the link for the um for the the concept unification VHS tapes that were sent out to all of the Rockafire or the Showbiz Pizza franchises that show step by step all of these workers with mullets and mustaches literally oh, yes. skinning Rockafire yeah. characters down to no. their metal skeletons and then reskinning them with Chuck E. Cheese skin. Uh, and yeah, that's what happened to most of the to I think all of the showbiz pizza franchises is they were turned into Chuck E. Cheese's. And so to this day, there's a difference between Chuck E. Cheese franchises uh, based on whether they have original Chuck E. Cheese skeletons or whether they are reskinned Rockafire characters. What a horrifying idea, right? Like deeply weird. And the video oh. is the video is terrifying, and it just it just has some very interesting moments in it. You know where they say stuff like. Uh, take down all of these props and throw them away. You'll never use them again. You know, and it's just like a bunch of guys named Kyle throwing shit into a dumpster. It's and it's all played straight. Um, yeah, obviously. And the creepiness of it. I mean, it just feels like Five Nights at Freddy's owes a lot to those videos, right? Uh, yeah. Let absolutely. alone the actual animatronics. I mean the the music and the 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 in-camera VHS font over the black screen yeah. and you know, all that stuff. All of that stuff. Well, I, I, I'll I, be honest. If anything, it seems just to kind of go full circle, uh, all of the minutiae of the Five Nights at Freddy games seem to revolve around a sort of possession narrative slash uh, workplace accident leads to a ghost sort of horseshit, but uh, it seems sort of referential of all of this uh, weird behind the scenes sort of flotsam and jetsam that are only that's only inherent for real heads. Like it feels like he would have had to have known about Rockafire, the the unification, the 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 one state solution, if you will, for uh, the Rockafire and Chuck E. Cheese franchises. Right. Uh, and sort of, it, it's strange the, the way that arc goes through the games. I, I'm i not going to lie. Don't know a goddamn thing about it. I know a kid dies. I know you have to do mini games to save the kid's soul or something in a game that plays different from the rest of the core game. Uh, and that the guy that makes the games is incredibly prolific. And also sort of only does this type of game. Yeah. Uh, referential yeah. of these things. He's only had one canceled game, a air quotes MMO or something in that universe. Wow. Or how would is that it an action RPG or something? Yeah. I don't well, know. I mean I, I can speak on that a little bit um because I, I was fascinated uh and I haven't again I haven't played the games because it's, you know, it's gonna scare the shit out of me, right? Like I don't need that. <laughs> Um, and I will say as an aside, I think it's fucked up that people are letting their six-year-olds play this shit just straight it's up. True. Like, true. I don't think that's, that's cool. Just wasn't an option when we were kids. Right. So, I mean, uh, I think that the basis of the horror for Five Nights at Freddy's is that, uh, one of these animatronic creatures who patrol around the restaurant at night where you are a night watchman and you're the only person in the building, which is such a good setting. What a great concept, you know, just props. Yeah. Um, so they walk around at night, but they're going to get you. Like 
and I think they have different ways of getting you. They're like chess pieces. They have certain, you know, roots depending on what what they are. And I think the bear character is the most powerful. And he's as as you uh, ascend in difficulty, I think you have to face different characters, and there are more of them loose in in the restaurant at a time. And then if they grab you, they don't just kill you, but they eat you. So it's 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 a vor horror thing. Um, and the way that you die is because the inside of the suit is not empty because it's not a character suit, even though those exist in the restaurants. Uh, it's full of this mechanical endoskeleton. So they, you know, they force you in and you become all fucked up Amagara fault style and, and you die in hideous pain. Um, so what a cool idea. First of all, what a great concept, fascinating, well executed. Um, but it plays on this. The, the child horror of these creatures is particularly when you're in a place like Disney World and there are people walking around in mascot suits. What's under the skin? Is that a robot? Is it a person? Is it a puppet? What is it? Is it alive? You know, if you're young enough, then that the question is, is that a real thing? Is it real? Is it alive? Um, so it, it really plays on this the horror of not knowing. And that's the greatest thing about any monster movie that's successful is not what you see of the monster, but what you don't see. You know, obviously the 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 king of the genre is alien. You know, they they basically never show you anything of the alien. Um and what they do show you is made out of fucking broomsticks and garbage bags. They just lit it so well that it looked perfect. So I love that the that the central horror of Five Nights at Freddy's plays off of this childhood fear of what is underneath the surface of these robots. And maybe Scott Cawthon had similar experiences to uh, to myself as a kid, maybe going to these restaurants or whatever. Um, because one of the ways that they would break the fourth wall or kind of maintain the fourth wall, I should say, is that they would have a Billy Bob suit that employees would wear and walk around the restaurant in. You know, so they would close the curtain on the band and then Billy Bob himself would seemingly come off the stage and walk around amidst, you know, the the children who were eating their pizza. And I'm, I'm sure Chuck E. Cheese did the same thing. Right. There would be a guy in a Chuck E. Cheese suit. There's the guy in the suit and there's mm -hmm. the robot, right? Right. So the, you know, the, 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 the moment of the point of tension in that the game horror experience is like the finding out that there is not a person inside that it's actually just a robot so i love that that reveal and the sort of playing with expectations a subversion of of subversion of life subversion of expectations of how things are animate um it's so successful in that respect as a as a concept which is why they're making a movie yeah <laughs> And uh, and have been making a movie for five years now. Well, um, they were beaten to it. Uh, they, I mentioned Sid and Marty Croft earlier as it relates to uh, Aaron, and sure enough, they made a Five Nights at Freddy's horror knockoff of the Banana Splits. Yeah, uh, and what? the conceit of the Banana Splits horror film is 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 quite literally as simple as it sounds a sort of five nights at freddy's uh these are these are now monsters they're evil they're they're eating people and whatnot oh yeah. wow i somehow missed this well yeah. unfortunately it's not very good uh yeah. i also it doesn't seem like it's made no out. 
Not at all. I was like, why haven't I seen this? I would love to see this. And so I checked out a stupid YouTube video about it, which was terrible. Um, But I got to see, you know, enough of the of the clipped uh, scenes um, to see that it was just not. I mean, it it was, it was it was practical effects and stuff and good for them. And apparently some of the, the death scenes are pretty good, but I really don't like how they made the monsters. They're just not it's guys in suits and they are dancers, yeah. which is usually a good outcome, but they are not well directed at all. And they just they just end up looking like guys in suits. They're not even like doing the robot convincingly. So I mean, for me, for me, that would have been great. You could have just leaned into that. You just could have because the the, the banana splits by themselves don't look natural. That looks fucking weird what they're doing. They were doing that in like the the, the 60s or early Mm -hmm. 70s. It it had to be off putting then. Nothing but nothing but funding games in. The rock of fire explosion, not to be confused with the rock of fire event. No body count. Uh, I was that- excited about the Five Nights at Freddy's movie because they originally gave it to Gil Keenan, who did Monster House, um, which is oh, the, the CGI the anim- yeah. animated movie that I actually like. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't like a lot of those, um, but Monster House I thought was great. Um, but he dropped off the project. I think he had to go do something else because they were just taking too long. And Scott Cawthon was writing the screenplay, which is never a good idea. Never give the author the screenplay. Yeah. Um, it depends. So it he depends took, on how good your deal slash your abilities are. I don't <laughs> think that authors have the ability to know what's good on a screenplay. I really don't. It's pretty rare. I mean, think of the movie. Teenage the Mutant Ninja Turtles Road. movie. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Those guys, even if it's not all that great or high art, they were involved enough in that process where they were, they were able to like have a good outcome. I think of... God, the leathery faces of the turtles. Those are some rotting like about some animatronics work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are those are melting in a warehouse somewhere for sure. I think I've seen pictures of some of those those costumes as as they decay. Well, latex is a natural product, so you know. I don't know how silicon monster masks do over time. Probably better than latex, I would guess. Because everybody's using silicon now. Prosthetics are all silicon. Um, I did a photo shoot. Huh? I don't know their shelf life. I was saying, sorry. Oh, silicon. I don't know either. Probably better, better than latex. It's gotta be, um, because it's much more inert. So, I mean, uh, the, uh, the FNAF movie is now in the hands of Chris Columbus to direct, uh, who brought us home alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Yeah. Harry Potter's one and two. And Harry Potter, yeah. So, you know, I I could see it. Mrs. Doubtfire is a latex monster mask horror movie, so um definitely a, a, a sort of who's who's under there kind of horror based film. Uh certainly transphobic as fuck, but there's there's definitely some precedent there for 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 horror. And Home Alone also as well as thematically thematically comparable i think here's the thing if he brings an energy to five nights at freddy's he can't bring home alone one he in order to make an effective movie he would have to go home alone two i i rewatched home alone two con artist kevin full all right the last tangent of the night but fucking home alone two 
is is so tied to the film The Good Son. It was the prerequisite for for him doing Home Alone 2, one of Macaulay Culkin's weirdest standout films. A, a trailer for The Good Son is all you need to understand the base components of it. You will laugh or be in like mortified terror at this concept. But yeah, Home Alone 2 is just four distinct monologues talking about how good Kevin McAllister is and all of these adults sort of adulating him. And it gives off massive pedophilia vibes. Wow. Huh. Rewatch Home Alone 2. You will be taken aback by it. It it comes off fucking weird the way all of the adults speak with him. The fact that the pigeon lady is clearly Dickensian and a ghost. Uh, <laughs> she's the only person in that movie fucking dressed like that. And her big problem isn't that she's fucking homeless and covered in pigeons and pigeon shit, but no, that she can't find someone to love her. And <laughs> Kevin McAllister is relating this to her with this depth these depths he has as a child to understand the human condition and interpersonal adult love to an old ghost who will go on to mangle Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Hmm. And it needs the violence of home alone too, which is fucking depraved. There are upwards of eight things that could easily have killed both of them. It, Kevin all but pulls a gun on the people. he pulls a nail gun at some point and starts. That's yeah, that's what I like remember. Putting putting nails down range, but yeah, Kevin does all but pull out a Glock and like fucking put them on their knees and shoot them. Wow. He, he's torturing them the whole time. These massive dumb waiters and upwards <laughs> of eighty pounds. He hits he hits Daniel Stern with this massive uh bag full of sand it's like an 80 pound no no not sand cement a cement bag from like yeah. five stories onto his neck it would I liquefy mean, the, level, the man the level of slapstick in those movies has always been very cartoonish um <laughs> every every bit of violence in home alone should kill somebody but but yes the the the, the pigeons covering daniel stern and the way the light hits him at a certain point it looks like they've tore the skin and flesh off his body it's fucking awful uh so if you're going to bring any sort of home alone energy to a five nights at, at freddy's film pure pure evil you don't you don't dip from from the sweetness of home alone the old man with the shovel who isn't as bad as you thought. You're not as scared of the furnace anymore. No. Oh, yeah. He's he's small ball compared to that. Uh, you know, you need to go to Lost in New York, the, the, the fucking worst uh, upper middle class parents ever. And you need to you need to bring that energy to the Five Nights at Freddy's film. That's the only acceptable thing. I'm not saying you need the pedophilia overtones. I don't let, know if Chris Columbus did Home Alone 2. It probably would not be listed in his parenthetical after <laughs> they he did it. Yeah. He, he did it. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I don't think I ever saw the second one, but I the first one was like very common sleepover fare. Like it was considered child safe. So it would be put on in front of kids a it lot. Christmas movie growing I, up. I did not like it as a kid. It I thought it was just too much it was weirdly violent it had this sort of sociopathic tone to it that i did not like i didn't like the sort of casual neglect of the children in it it, it always those, weird me out 
yeah it it is creepy in in a certain way um in, in the same way that mrs doubtfire is actually I, also another movie that would be put on at sleepovers or to entertain children with and i just hated it it had just so nasty there was some sort of nastiness and grossness to it and and sort of this constant threat of harm even though really i nobody gets you know messed up even as much as they do in home alone one and mrs doubtfire but something about it i did not like the tone but it would be great for a horror movie so well here's the thing about home alone one kevin kevin has to air quotes has to protect his home the thing is he comes to this realization after having the discussion with the old man where he said where he where kevin is clearly played up as naive where he imparts wisdom to an old man because obviously the conceit is like kids say the darnest things. And actually there's a bit of truth to what the boy says. And maybe that's what makes him so endearing to us as the audience where, where you, you could get that. And it's not that weird. There, there's like that sort of uh, there's that Frank Capra sort of American school of naivete and moralism sort of intertwined where you, you can come out with nuggets of truth, but, See, I, 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 Home Alone 1 reads completely normal to me. He's just doing Bart Simpson shit. But the thing is, the fight at the end of Home Alone 1 doesn't need to happen. He doesn't need to do any of this. He could have stayed at the church that entire night, called the yeah. police. Fucking boom. Done. Over with. No risk to my personal health or safety or anything. The fact that he needs to fight and torch these guys... Is 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 the whole film is built to built around the fact oh, yeah. that it's, if left to his own devices to fuck around or whatever, he will. He'll be a little more responsible than you give him credit for, but just as any kid would be if they were left alone for X amount of time. It's gonna be shit all over the floor. Yeah. Food, like, whatever. What do you expect? But uh Home Alone 2, it just I, I, you know, it's, it's not like solo bad, but it's like to watch it as an adult and see the gears that are going in the head of the person creating it. Like, why do we have to focus on how wise this child is in this specific way? I'm not saying anything about Christopher Columbus. If anything, what is up with the producers of this movie or financiers of this movie? And also, uh, Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin's parents. But I mean, yeah, it was like it was like a big child star era, and he was. Uh, I mean, he's an admittedly oh, it's, it's, a ridiculous child actor. If you're right. if you're a director, like he sell he carries the whole of Home Alone one. Yeah, he was uh, really fucking good. He was yeah. he's good as an adult too. Party Monster, oh, totally. great. Yeah, actually, the the IRL Party Monster Michael Alec, he died a few days ago. I heard about that. He Real finally shit. OD'd. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I only saw it sort of by accident in a headline, and it's sort of weird that no one's no one's talking about it. But yeah, you know, it's I don't know. There was something about the '80s and particularly the early '90s because the '80s were still a little bit goofier or more innocent in their child threat. But the '90s, particularly with Steven Spielberg, he fucking hates kids. The shit that he makes <laughs> children go through. Yeah. I mean, I remember my mom complaining about this and she's like hypersensitive to children in peril. It's like one of her one of her her anxiety triggers. And she used to just bitch and moan about Steven Spielberg 
and how much he would love he loves watching children suffer and he loves watching them you know being threatened by by narrative uh narrative tools and as an adult i as a kid i was like what the fuck are you talking about mom as an adult i 100 see what she's talking about and it is it's sadistic um and i think a lot of early 90s movies in particular were like this i'm not sure what it was about maybe it was like gen x sort of reacting to a perceived little sibling that was annoying kind of thing i don't know what it was or or boomers resenting children for forcing them to to grow up maybe that was part of it because there was a lot of media like that show 30 something about boomers like being forced to grow up and Mm. really resenting it and i think having children may have been part of it so there were a lot of movies about children alone children in peril children being forgotten by parents or yeah. not cared for very well. What is the message of Home Alone if not, hey, if you leave your child home alone, he's going to be okay. Kind of, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like or, uh... <laughs> the, the, the phenomena of 90s sort of latchkey kids. Latchkey uh, kids, yeah. Is, is, well, okay, mom and dad are working more uh, because even if it's like artificial or a lot of it's make work or whatever, the jobs are there, the money is there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, schooling will basically be your stand in for childcare and like watching them. And you kind of get home roughly around the same time where the kid has timed themselves, uh, you know, and it's sort of, it's sort of adults from a different era trying to fix their heads in that direction. Uh, but not a lot of firsthand questioning of it, just sort of more, observations they pull from other people like you know again bart simpson i I immediately think of it when i think of that movie because the the sort of archetype of okay a kid left to his own devices all right he's funnier and cooler than a lot of his friends he's also a little fucking psycho Mm -hmm. like if bart simpson were real or if kevin McAllister were real uh he'd be a little shithead he'd be like not well adjusted or whatever he'd be like he'd be like richard kuklinski waiting to emerge from a fucking egg uh but yeah that that's the thing uh that's the thing mac um for me i any sort of five nights at freddy thing i think you please move away from the stranger things type shit we yeah. get it yeah like well that, like we get, like I get it. You like Stephen King. Well, make something deeply referential of Stephen King and put your own spin on it. Stranger uh, Things is a perfect example of someone making something as a seemingly nice idea, and the first part of it is totally fine, and then people just take that and run with it. It should have ended after season one. Now, that was yeah, enough. Exactly. It was yeah, perfect, it was it. perfect it was season. It. Perfect season. Take it. Go. You know. Get the creators. Get the team put them on something else and it'll make another another great thing and now it's just bad yeah it's the same I, thing. I, I like i like season two but the, the ending was fucking dumb but i agree season two was acceptable yeah but that was but, that was like the limit for sure but, and also just the idea that it's like i i mean i even have less uh you know like i have less issues with the content of the show more so that the success of it has driven this you know like boy you thought the 80s revival was happening when the transformers movie came out holy moly yeah uh we are in like the second wave of that now um with the big budget it's and the the 
the the Stephen King font where it was once. You know, when Stranger Things season one comes out, it's oh cool, they're using Stephen uh, King. Yeah, I, I was sitting in a room time. with Simon, and we were both we pointed the we like yeah, the Leonardo like, oh, pointed cool. the screen like, hey, yeah, there it is. Yeah, I like that typeface. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Right. But and that's, I mean, that there's no, no one has told me a politically correct way of saying cargo cult, but that's what we're talking about here, you know, and like that, that nostalgia bomb can be great. Season one, Stranger Things was great. Yeah, but it's fun. when it gets, when it becomes superficial and like, oh, the Russians are bad and just like this kind of, it, yeah, it, it does. Get. Oh my God. Three season three was just dog shit it's, it's just a like, drag everyone is getting ready to be in their own respective properties and have a career outside of this show and it's no wonder the show that season just ends on them all fucking moving out because in all honesty that they kind of see the writing on the wall too which is nice but uh in terms of in terms of that yeah having having seen a bunch of derivative properties do the same thing uh the 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 the, the new chucky movie the new child's play literally did that for no reason like the 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 young boy that gets the chucky dial now has a crew apropos of fucking nothing oh uh, i didn't even know that i ugh, when you yeah. got aubrey plaza right there just incorporate yeah. Aubrey Plaza into a bunch of stuff. Have her look smoldering while eating a shitty burrito and pretending to be a mom. You can do that. It's fine. Just lead into that. As opposed Put to... a Stranger Things crew. <laughs> instead of putting a Stranger Things crew. Yeah, uh, like I, I'm really hoping we're not looking at that with with Freddy's, you know? Because that's a movie that I... As long as it's practical effects, if it's some CGI bullshit, I'm out. I'm not interested. If it's practical effects, if they're building a fucking monster robot bear right i will go see it in a theater you know i'll spend the 30 bucks that it costs to go see a movie in the theater yeah. and, I'll, and i'll go um but yeah if it's if it's cgi fuck that so i don't know which way they're gonna go i, I guess harry potter was a good uh, thing i, I know was, what i would do i would there was some I practicals love. and cgi both so. Yeah, i would imagine for a movie like this uh if i'm in charge i want the centerpiece to be animatronic but i'm sure is shit gonna pay for cgi for a lot of the other stuff frank frankenstein's monster narrative easy bing bong you could you could fall in love with freddy but then he turns and he's oh the, with the the creator of the robots being involved well I, I mean i like that angle a lot but the the banana splits movie uh that's what they did there the, oh. it was a frankenstein thing yeah Aww. so i mean but i don't really care if if to take some of the same idea come out as you know because we were talking about aaron factor he's always the guy who has the other take on on an idea and it doesn't get picked yeah. up yeah so i don't mind that too much you know um sometimes <laughs> it, what? no no i'm just thinking like the the catalyst for the five nights at freddy's movie is like how did the animatronic sort of get imbued with all of this mystical power and it turns out that there was this new type of a uh, bio uh biofuel that was like being squirted <laughs> them and there was this fucking explosion and it's made of ghosts or something 
there was an explosion in a warehouse and the, the affected animatronics then got shipped to the pizza restaurant. You could you could you could cook with it. You can put it in say, I don't know, a pneumatic uh, series of Oh, uh, robots. that's how they walk around by themselves. They're oh they're they're god. powered with the uh, clean burning hydrillium, carbohydrillium. Oh my god. It's right god. there. It's staring at us the whole fucking time. You're right. I would love something. I mean, these movies are never as good as they're as they should be, you know, because they go through a million revisions and some fucking producer shows up and says, oh, this monster is not moving enough. Make it move more whatever. So, I mean, that's. Yeah. Dope. I uh, if anyone's going to probably do it right, I can imagine they would. But um, it's a good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I, we'll see. I mean, I, I was excited when it was announced because Gil Keenan went to uh, went to the Muppet Warehouse and oh, that's cool. posted a bunch of pictures from uh, what's it called? Um, not Industrial Light and Magic. That's that's Lucas, right? Who am I thinking oh, of? Henson, Jim Henson. Henson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we posted a bunch of stuff from the Henson Monster Warehouse, and it, that was that's a good start, right? Like you want to go to where the 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 puppets are and get your ideas from there. So it was probably just to go, which just a look-see. I don't think those were actual, I don't think those were models that he built for the movie. I think they were just. Oh, it's doubtful. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, good start. And they have said in various production interviews that come out every once in a while, I mean, nobody's really talking about this right now. The news that they had finally finished the script came out in November and I didn't hear about it. And I, yeah. I'm in the circles where I would have heard about it. So I don't think anyone cares right now. No one's watching, but that might be good, you know. I, a lack of oversight is sometimes better for better for for creativity because no one's coming in to tell you no, you know. So they they have said that they're invested in making it a practical effects film. So oh, that's good. That would be great. I that's can imagine I that uh, a route like you know certainly after it's done and whenever it starts to pop up as a promotional thing, Aaron Fector will just be there at the top of all of it. Um, being like, hey guys, did you see that Five Nights at Freddy's movie? By the way, did you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'll just no, he'll, that'll, that'll, be, that'll just reinvigorate him even further. A delicious steak with fresh hydrillium. Hydrillium, right? Yeah. A, a green, a green set powered by carbohydrillium. There it is. Yeah. Oh Lord. Well, um, on that note. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to, as always, thank, thank uh, my, my pod, my pod uh, co-hosts. Uh, <laughs> Ruben, Ruben will be returning in Her Majesty's Secret Service slash uh, Five Nights at Freddy's uh, uncle location. And beyond that, uh, I hope you've had a good night. Uh, as always, I'm Michelle Perez, uh, joined by Jake. And Eliza Gager, and uh, I want to remind you, if you're ever, absolutely ever planning on doing anything like this, just use hydraulics. Do not fill pneumatic uh, hoses up with hydrillium because it will blow up a building. It will blow up a fucking building. You won't just lose fingertips. Or singe your eyebrows and hair. <laughs> okay. This has lethal force. You Looney will, Tunes explosions. You, you will you will die with an emaciated latex face that has flown at such a trajectory. Mm -hmm. 
It has been blown off of a of a skeleton somewhere, yeah, and and through your fucking head. That was apparently the the second carbohydrillium explosion. The first one was in two thousand one. Oh wow! What day? What day? day? This is very important to life. (laughs) (laughs) What day in two thousand one? Let's see. Was there a factor? Where was he? Where was you ever, you ever see Aaron Factor and Osama bin Laden at the same place? Weird, the same weird, yeah, weird, weird picture of Aaron Factor with uh, George W. Bush. I'm, in, I'm uh, googling right now. Is is uh, Aaron Factor a sovereign Saudi? I Bush? will note actually on his website, he's got you know pictures on a, on a banner. The two celebrities shown on the uh, the creative engineering website with Aaron Fector in pictures are Michael Jackson and CeeLo Green. Oh yeah. So not the not the two celebrities uh, best remembered for their music. Oh, so I mean, celebrity endorsements. I forgot. I forgot to tell this one story that's really important before absolutely, we go. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. At one point, Paul McCartney, and again, this is Aaron Fector yes. telling this story, so yes. I have no idea. I have no idea how true it is, but Aaron Fector says that Paul McCartney and his company, whoever, whatever that is, got in touch with him and wanted to have Fector build an animatronic Paul McCartney in order to go on tour with or install in a hard rock cafe or something. I don't know why. So he built this fake robot Paul McCartney, which I think was a full size, you know, like six foot tall human uh, shaped robot. And then suddenly the project ran out of money. And so they just they just divested and left Aaron with the with this this robot. And so it sat in the warehouse forever until the uh, US Armed Forces got in touch and said, Hey, do you have any human robots? No. <laughs> no. Oh no. For for a thing we need we need them for. And Aaron's like, Yeah, I got this got this Paul McCartney, you know, you can you can buy him. And so where the Paul McCartney ended up, uh, referred to as Sergeant Paul from this point forward, was in a gas chamber. Oh my god. Going through his dance routine that had been programmed. <laughs> Sorry. That had been programmed in presumably to Paul McCartney songs, but that was not specified. I'm just gonna assume. In a gas chamber wearing a gas proof suit to dance for oh. 24 hours a day at the end of which his uh, gas detector would be checked to see if the suit had uh, become fatigued and leaked. So they make him dance in a gas chamber and then crack him open and check for leaks. And this is where the Paul McCartney robot ended up. (laughs) No, What a a life. I I can already tell you right now, I know the answer to that question without looking at anything. You know, it probably was no Beatles songs, no Paul McCartney solo artist songs. Only his music has wings. Only his music can fucking wing. I hope every night that Paul McCartney goes to bed. Make him dance. I hope he just thinks about Robot Paul. Just so, like, you know, that robot is dancing in a gas chamber so that he doesn't have to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At he's the gotta, end of the day. Gotta, you gotta be thankful for those things. Yeah, it's wings. That's live and let die. Uh, holy Christ. It's just it's just nothing but connections. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I'm a, it, I love it, that that's a Fector original, too. It is a, it's a genuine Fector is in there getting gassed. Just dancing his little heart out every day. It's so horrible. I I mean, it's funny as shit 
it's so funny but it's also just oh it's terrifying and, and, and i have to i have to emphasize that aaron factor told this story without a shadow of empathy for this robot dancing in a gas chamber until it falls apart <laughs> to me that's sad like if i had designed something if so, if i had designed a robot son with co-parent paul mccartney and ended up dancing in a, a u.s government lab full of gas oh i would God. be sad about that a little bit you know I, I would say something to the effect of you know i'm sorry he had to end up that way even if it was funny to me he didn't think it was funny he also didn't think it was sad he delivered this story in exactly the same like pt barnum cadence as he tells every other story the thing is, I'm, I'm imagining what it looks like visually, and the only thing in my head that pops up is the Genesis video for Land of Confusion and how fucked up uh, puppet Phil Collins looks. If there was going to be a Rockefeller-looking Paul McCartney. Like, like Jake, you, you remember that video, right? I mean, I remember... I think I've seen that picture of puppet Phil Collins. But... All right, uh, just a... To... Don't even worry about it. I'm already Googling puppet Phil Collins. Oh, geez. oh yeah. This is yeah. horrifying. This is terrible. Yeah, no, this is terrifying. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. <laughs> I was just imagining him just flailing his arms around in a, in a fucking gas chamber with his, his rosy Santa Claus cheeks. You know, just, I'm in hell right now. <laughs> that, 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 that's your light at the end of the tunnel. That's your DMD. <laughs> He's just dead. He's just dancing to live and let die. Just making some, guitar strumming some, gestures. Some army engineer somewhere was like, how are we going to stress test this suit? We need something that can dance forever. Yeah, I think they just really, really regretted that. <laughs> yeah, that, that had the same bend points as a human body. Because yeah, that's what they yeah. used to test with, like the elbows and knees and shit. Exactly. And then now his job is to stare at fucking Paul McCartney dancing. Why hasn't anyone followed up on this? I should already have heard about this. Does you know, God like, does God does does God see us doing this? <laughs> I first thought. Uh but yeah. Uh wow. Incredible. Uh, I, I, I know. I can't I can't fucking believe it. I just can't get my I would love to do the Air Factor warehouse tour and just ask him all of this shit, which I'm that, sure he would answer, you know, very happily. He's still um, doing them this year, even through quarantine, it looks like. Uh, I'm sure he does not yeah, believe absolutely. in quarantine. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. He, sells, he sells masks. He oh, he sells, sells masks. masks. Yeah, we forgot to talk about that. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well, Aren't I, they like I, styrofoam plates or something? Isn't there... Wasn't uh, he... Yes, somebody brought this up in a YouTube that he was like selling styrofoam bowls as some sort of plague-related accessory. Uh... Hmm. I'm never going to be able to find this again. I should have took better notes. I'm not going to lie. I I would I would doubt the efficacy of that type of method of mask. Folks, wear fair wear regular ass mask. I don't know if styrofoam is more helpful. Doesn't seem like it would be. Oh, uh, the 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 YouTube drama kids have coined the hashtag air infector as an air infector. Ooh, oh no! Got about this. Yeah, get him for that. Not, um, not, not the fucking explosion. Okay. Yeah, his his main enemy on YouTube is a guy who calls himself Dewmonic Abyss, as in Mountain Dew, and who has a has an eye patch and appears to be between wow. the ages of seventeen and twenty three. Hard to tell. Wow. 
Um, so yeah, he's got a video here. Air infector profits off pandemic with styrofoam bowls. Uh, let's see. Uh, and it links to a The Rockifier official account uh, video titled Aaron invents a DIY coronavirus face mask. Best protection. Um, so I actually haven't watched this call out video. But it does look like Aaron is attempting to profit off of the coronavirus pandemic. All right. I'm uh, watching this right now. It literally looks like he cut off little parts of a styrofoam bowl and strapped yeah, it to his face. That's what people are saying. Yep. Folks, if you're watching this from the future, or listening, rather, uh, there was a pandemic that seized the whole country. Uh, not, uh, not, you know, we haven't seen anything like this since the Spanish flu or the Black Plague. Uh, yes. He is straight up instructing people to use styrofoam bowls for a mask. It's literally a styrofoam bowl. Five yeah, bucks. It, like, yeah. Oh, man. This guy fucking rules. Actually, he's cool and unproblematic now. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. He I, is. He's just an old timey carnival barker. He's going yeah, to. Yeah, no, he really is. He used car sales. Sell it to, the, to the, the, the punters, you know? Like, you, I gotta respect the grift, I do. I mean, it seems like the grift has never actually worked in his life. And and in that sense, it is kind of uh, pathetic. As if anything, to, this is like uh, a postmodern approach to, like, the OnlyFans thing. Like, he has his people, and they're his sick pay pigs. But, like... Apparently, yeah. I, I want to know how many people are actually buying this stuff, because I don't think it's that many people. Yeah, what are like, the order processes? Like? YouTube account... I think that his his YouTube account is the place where he is the most active. He only has fifty one point six thousand subscribers, which is not that many. Right in the world of YouTube, that's it's pretty not small. that many. So I don't think he's actually selling very much of this shit. Add to that that he is taking payment for these things on PayPal. Like he doesn't have he doesn't even have a storefront. So yeah. I really yeah, so think he's. I would not be surprised to hear him filing bankruptcy. In the next few years, honestly, unless he's like really rich uh, from inherited wealth. I knew a similar guy to this, actually. I worked for him, um, worked at the uh, the Bone Room in Berkeley, which is actually a really nice little store. But the owner, uh, R.I.P., was a real piece of shit. Um, and I don't feel bad about saying that because he, he did some pretty crappy stuff over time but yeah he just inherited a bunch of money because i asked at one point i asked the other employees who had been there longer i'm like how does he afford all of this shit he's like constantly buying fossils that nobody wants to buy on ebay that's all he did all day was buy shit on ebay and, and think that it was going to be the next big thing oh yeah people are going to buy hyena fossils let's buy them and sell them never did nothing ever happened it was just a money hole and i'm like how does he keep this place open and the answer was always he inherited a bunch of money and he's just working his way through it. So yeah, wow. that's, the, that's the that's the Tommy Wiseau sort of thing. Yeah, I yeah. Have all of this money, Tommy. Yeah, uh, Wiseau is another. That's a really he's he's one of these guys. He's one of these types of guys. You know, absolutely, definitely an, an auteur, definitely a a, a a maker, an inventor of of things, but kind of a massive failure in his own sense. Yeah, I want to. Now, now that we've got our sort of outro, I, I do now I, I'm fucking I'm super amped from all of the drugs I've been abusing. And this uh, monster monster. This is not an endorsement, by the way. 
I would say out loud that I endorsed the thing if I loved it enough. But uh, Monster Energy Ultra Watermelon. I do not endorse this product, but do I enjoy it? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, they got a Watermelon Ultra, you say? Baby? Baby. Oh, that green? Come, come in here to the future. Oh, if I saw that green can top in a 7-Eleven, I would, I would, it would be in my hand. It, tastes, it tastes like the energy drink equivalent of those uh, watermelon Jolly Ranchers. It's I'm an absolute sucker for artificial Ooh. watermelon. Oh. Yeah, one of the top comments here on the YouTube: "A sucker's born every minute." That's that's a PT Barnum quote. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's the thing. Uh, I can't can't imagine as we move forward. We will not sort of have Aaron Fector as our, our, a sort of part of our our canon, if you will, talking about creators. I think oh, absolutely, yeah. Not, not the, I can feel the, him with us right now. Exactly. Got <laughs> my arm up. Uh, when the episode goes up, we'll know if he has the name searches out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like if if we get sued, okay. I'm, my mom's a lawyer, right? And I've been loud on the internet for twenty years. So if we get sued, I'll I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Sweet. About it. Cool. Not worried. If I don't get sued for being a fucking asshole, we're fine. Sorry. <laughs> like, like the guy openly talked on Twitter. He was like, "It would actually cost me more to sue this person. It would make me look like an asshole yeah. trying to collect money from someone that has no reasonable way of paying it." So that I, has there's a legal term for that. You know what it is? What's that? Judgment proof. Judgment proof. Once my mom taught me about judgment proof, I could not. No one could tell me shit. I'm I'm too poor. It judgment proof means that you will not be able to collect your judgment from this person because they literally don't have the money. So that means that you're not going to win that lawsuit. The judge is going to dismiss it because the person that you're suing is poor. Hell yeah. So fuck you. That's yeah. I mean absolutely yeah. For 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 all of for all of you young people, I don't I don't think you should become like a a doxing fucking sociopath or whatever. But uh, if you want to be a fucking asshole within the purviews of reasonable being a fucking asshole. And I'm not a person that can uh, really give you the best barometer for that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, yeah, yeah. For the most part, it doesn't fucking mean anything. Uh, just maybe watch with that around the police because uh, the police are the scum of the earth and we'll pull that card. Uh, but they would always pull that card. That's besides the point. To get Jerry's final thought in. Uh, I think about a lot of times moralizing about a lot of stuff. That's not to say you shouldn't have a moral core or whatever, but like things that are done are done. It's been done. Uh, can't undo them, baby. And the thing about that is uh, the people that affect you, influence you, uh, and sort of form your worldview, uh, take the good from the bad or this or that, it's going to come from all over the place. Uh me personally, I probably own more conservative biographies slash conservative air quotes. Uh, I don't know what you'd say. I own more of that shit than straight up leftist theory. Uh, because for me personally, how I view the world is that I love arguing. And the great thing about reading a lot of those books is that it's a lot of pandemic a pedantic observational argumentation of this or that or whatever or whatever that are just supposed to keep you in place, keep you enmeshed and mucked. And honestly, when you shed your fear of a lot of that shit, uh, 
but a lot of other experiences, you you won't be poisoned by things. Yeah, you won't be radicalized into being a dog shit person. Uh, simply engaging with the rock of fire guy will not turn you into a sixty something uh, fucking guy that has caused a post September eleventh explosion. <laughs> Unless you are really into post September eleventh explosions, in which case this was not going to meaningfully in meaningfully uh, affect you one way or the other. Uh, the thing is, you can you can like like all kinds of stuff, and you can be influenced by people across the spectrum. People always litigate this with Kanye. Obviously, I don't like his uh, creed with arms wide open era, but uh, to say that I did not love a bunch of pre-Christian uh, rock Kanye, you know, it's kind of selling the guy short. And, you know, he has a lot of stupid things to say, but he has a lot of insightful things to say as well. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't I don't believe in the notion, and I would try to persuade listeners to open themselves up to the idea of uh, sort of looking... Uh, at consumption not as a a a moral act but instead a a a sort of development of your greater ability to to take in and analyze the culture you live in because whether you feel some way or not about these people they inhabit the same fucking world as you and you should have some sort of functional literacy of the culture uh, you're in uh, to have some sort of awareness, but also if you want to create something uh, and you don't want to make something contrived or dog shit, it should reflect the world you live in and it can reflect the world you want to live in, but you have to have some sort of prior knowledge of it. And with the creators like this, yeah, you can, you can get in the muck of this guy being a reactionary chud or whatever, but uh, honestly, uh, how much power does this guy individually have over your fucking life? Right. And the right. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Uh, the chugs on your Twitter timeline, do they influence dog shit politicians or this or that? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Say whatever you want about these people, but don't let that be your fucking personality and don't let that think that it's some sort of replacement for being an active, functioning person in society. Like, if if you if you believe you can have better outcomes by by canceling this person or that person with this specific lens here, that because this guy is a chud or whatever, that there, there's nothing of worth. You're like if if that's your if that if that's where you begin and end measuring your victories, then you know that's a fucking sad life to live. You you should your victories should be the actions, meaningful actions you take. In your life with people you love and uh you know change your mind and shit not 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 affectation not putting on a fucking hat and and saying i i feel this way or that way uh purely purely as a a reifying mechanism that's the thing you you want to you want to see the whole world you don't want just one lens and shit aaron fector himself is a fucking point object lesson in this uh if 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 you're only about two things your whole life one's gonna lead to the other if you're only in animatronics and uh fucking explosive badly alternate energy alternative energy guy you can bet your 
fucking bottom dollar in 30 or 40 years, you your rock of fire explosion will be an actual rock of fire the fuck explosion. <laughs> you cannot have tunnel vision. It, it is I I'm sorry. It, it, you know, and if you get tunnel vision sometimes, I, I do too, baby. But you know, you have to be a fully rounded person. That doesn't mean capitulating or fucking kissing the feet of people that want to destroy you or whatever. No, fuck them. They're the scum of the earth. Treat them like shit. Treat them like less than human, subhuman even. I think it's cool to do and normal. But that's me. But you need to see what informs their worldview. You, you need to be a fully realized human. Don't, don't not be a fully realized human. Because uh, you will cause a post-9-11 explosion. That's all I can say. Again, That's good advice. Michelle Perez, uh, Jake, and Eliza Gager, this has been working on it. Uh, please do not cause a post-9-11 explosion. <laughs> I think that's the best way to leave it. Don't cause a post-9-11 explosion. Woof.